For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Yes, indeedy. More issues on the roads this morning. I see Vicky's notes from breakfast with KC and unfortunately some more crashes and prangs and uh, I also, bizarrely enough, see a lot of uh, texts coming in with regards to areas that still have spot flooding. So a little bit of caution and take precautions on our roads. Actually, the, the Red Tops this morning are saying uh, that Med Aaron are, are claiming that temperatures will fall to around about uh, two degrees. So we're looking at uh, perhaps a, a colder snap coming in next week, according uh, to the Red Tops today. And before I forget, for those of you that love the jazz or the bank holiday weekend or getting out and about and visiting pubs or getting tickets for the different venues, the Echo today has a cracking supplement inside in the Echo, the Cork Jazz Festival downtown supplement and it's full of everything and anything you need to know all of the maps, all of the colour photographs of the artists and the venues it's like the A to Z I see our own Stevie G is in there, he's saying Cork is a happening city on the jazz weekend, so all of the details in there for you and all of the maps and for those of you that may not know the city or the suburbs all that well all of the different venues are highlighted and given their own red number and you can do a jazz trail over the long weekend so good luck with that uh, very sad disturbing news breaking overnight it's not making the papers today but it is making online stories and indeed I see it on Sky and that is the, the death toll in this mass shooting in a bowling alley in Maine a place called um, uh, Lewiston in Maine that death toll has now risen to at least 22 dead it is just awful news, tragic news horrible news, dozens and dozens more have been injured following this mass shooting in the US state of Maine uh, the police there are hunting a man wanted in connection with the shooting at a bar in a bowling alley in the town and they say that uh, he had been committed to a mental health facility over the summer and he is a person of interest, they have video footage and uh, photographs um, unfortunately of the man carrying what looks like a very big armed weapon. Uh, So that makes the online uh, editions this morning. Uh, Tina Satchwell buried yesterday and and I knew it I was talking about it yesterday morning on the air I said you will see all of the good people of Framoy come out and line the entire route as the cortege and the funeral car uh, with Tina's remains passed by and it happened yesterday family, friends, neighbours lined all of the streets uh, where Tina uh, Satchwell grew up ahead of her funeral yesterday and the locals particularly gathered in St. Bernard's Place Estate in Fomoy and her funeral cortege paused outside the family home. Even saying that is sad. Um, You know, they were hoping for a much better end to the mystery regarding Tina Satchwell and possibly were always holding on to a little glimmer of hope but I imagine it was very, very little glimmer of hope that she was alive somewhere. Sadly, that was not the case and the private um, burial happened yesterday and quietly amongst those, um, among those that she loved in a place um, that she lived in and also loved. Then there is the bizarre story. It's just so, so sad. And that is the um, discovery of the body of Tim O'Sullivan in a small little house above in Mallow. Well, we had the inquest of that um, uh, tragic story yesterday and all of the newspapers carry it Barry Roach has it uh, in the Irish Times and online as well, Ralph Regal carries it in this morning's Independent uh, Own English has the front and inside a story on it in this morning's Examiner uh, quite an amount of, uh, of detail, I'll talk to Barry Roach from the Irish Times in a few minutes time but on English this morning is saying the family of the man who lay dead and undiscovered in his home for 20 years dead in the bed 
has called for a full review now of the state's derelict sites regulations to ensure that a similar tragedy doesn't happen again. There are 180,000 long-term vacant properties. Um, So there potentially are other tragedies out there that have not been discovered at this point in time. If there's 180,000 vacant properties. And in the case of Tim O'Sullivan, who owned the home, unbeknownst to his family now, I know the family are racked with guilt and feel they should have done more, but if you actually read into the story in detail, all I could have was sympathy for the family because they did try and try and try. Like this morning, Ralph Regal says, the family of the man who lay dead for 22 years demand reform so this never happens again. His skeletal and mummified remains were found by council workers inspecting the derelict property in, in Mallow in January of this year. Um, and the O'Sullivan family said they believed no other should have to endure what they went through. Many, including the locals and the guardie and the family, all thought that he'd gone to England. Uh, Cork County Council staff eventually went into the property uh, because the local authority, the council, was receiving reports of vermin infestations in the area rats from other locals. But, uh, I mean, we'll go into more detail on that in a few minutes' time with, with Barry Roach, as I say, but it's awfully, awfully sad for Tim O'Sullivan as well. Um, you know, you, you wonder about how dumb people are. It's like the dumb and the dumber. Uh, you could call it an act of vandalism, but, you know, every single life ring that's thrown into the River Lee and is floating around or bobbing or lost is potentially a life lost. And the front page story of the Echo today talks of that type of vandalism, that kind of brain-dead carry-on, where apparently, according to Cork City Missing Persons Search and Rescue, um, there has been way too many life rings. Uh, They removed 10 life rings from the River Lee in the last two months alone, all unconnected to any rescues. This is just people who are taken off the hook for sport and throwing them in uh, to the tide. I mean, it's just insane. That's a front page story that makes the echo today. And the ongoing uh, murder trial, uh, trying to discover what happened and who's responsible for the murder of Ashley Murphy. Well, that makes the papers as well this morning, because uh, if I were to sum it up, the sun does it very well. The man who's on trial for Ashley Mur- Murphy's murder told the guardie, or as they call them in the sun today, told cops that he killed her. He says, um, he's alleged to have said, I'm feeling guilty. And he said, I regret it. He's alleged to have said, the reason I'm pleading guilty is I don't want anything to happen to my family. Now, we know that Ashling died after being stabbed 11 times at the canal in Tullamore back in January in 2022. But in court now uh, for the trial, uh, Yosef Pushka is denying the murder and pleading not guilty. But one of the newspapers this morning, The Star, says that Pushka signed a note of admission uh, that he made um, for the murder of Ashley Murphy, according to evidence given in the Central Criminal Court trial yesterday. It's alleged that he told Gardy through an interpreter, I did it, I murdered, I am the murderer. Do you know that other story then with regards to um, Ukrainian refugees, which kind of blew up over the, the weekend, and that is Fine Gael wanting to limit the amount of time that refugees, Ukrainian refugees can have accommodation provided by the state. They want to limit that to 90 days. I think really, if you dig into this, the idea is to try and discourage um, as best as possible in a sympathetic way 
uh, Ukrainian refugees coming to Ireland when they really could be going to other European countries that are closer. Unfortunately, it seems there are a proportion of Ukrainian refugees that start in European countries, not Ireland, but then end up moving to Ireland. And some are suggesting is because of the very generous system of looking after Ukrainian refugees in Ireland. We are number one when it comes to benefits and looking after them and the care and attention that they receive. So there's a lot of pushback then from Fianna Fáil, including Michal Martin. And I was talking about that on the air yesterday. So the front of the mail that says this cabinet row on refugees is continuing because the Taunister was not briefed in advance. And he's saying you can't be bringing this to a cabinet meeting under any other business. My words, not his. This is way too important for AOB. It needs to be on the agenda. And he should have been told about this in advance because the cost of the state, um, it's out of control. We, we just need to get a handle on it in some way, shape or form. They, they actually take, as a typical example, um, Deputy Michael Healy Ray's guest house in Tralee. Because for that guest house in Tralee, and everything's above board here. There are others around the country making an awful lot more money than Michael Healy Ray housing Ukrainian refugees. But in the guest house in Tralee, um, they have received €544,090 for accommodation of Ukrainian refugees to date. All right. So if you look at um, the guest house, it got three hundred and twenty-two grand in the second quarter of April to June this year. And then another two hundred and twenty-one grand for the guest house in Tralee um, for another six-month period of, of... So you add it all together, it's uh, over half a million. We have spent now €549 million Euro to the end of June. Um, and when you drill into other spends, then if you look, say, for instance, at international protection accommodation applications, we have spent €302 million for accommodation of international protection order applicants. For the first six months, this is not since the start now, I'm only giving you figures from January to June of this year. So there's a lot of money to be made in it and a lot needs to be spent. Um, there's another um, company who have City West uh, and they got just under 30 million for the first six months of 2023. And there are lots more. I'm only giving you a couple of examples. So the idea is try and get a handle on this because it is not sustainable. Um, I I find this amazing story in the mirror today and I'd love to get your thoughts on this with regards to mobile phones and children. It's got so bad now, apparently. There's a quote in one of the papers this morning, I think it's the mirror, of a teacher in in a school, the head teacher uh, from a Galway school says, in my opinion, a generation has been destroyed by smartphones. Their attention span is ruined. They're never off them under their desks. Apparently, teachers are now saying to students, because they're watching and looking on the phone under their desks, and the teachers can only tell because their head's bopping up and down. Apparently, the teachers are saying to them, I say to them now in the maths class, um, I have to say, lads, can I just have your attention for three minutes? Because I need to hammer this home. A point, a maths point, really complicated piece. So, like, would you please just concentrate and leave the phone away in the classroom for three minutes? I mean, like, surely be to God the teachers are becoming down stronger than that. Like, the, the phones shouldn't be in the classroom in the first place. Never mind trying to coax them away from their phones in the middle of an actual class. Just pay attention for two or three minutes anyway, please. So they're talking about banning mobile phones in all school. Text 0868104106 on that one. Agree or disagree? Text 0868104106. In other news this morning, papers also are wondering, well, I'm wondering because they're talking about the amount of raw sewage that is being released into the rivers and coastal waters of Ireland without proper treatment. 
why would you swim in the sea if there's raw sewage going into the water off Skibbereen, off Clonakilty, off Court McSherry, off Whitegate, off Ballycotton, um, and then into the rivers around Mitchellstown, Rathcormac, and indeed the River Lee in Cork City. Raw sewage all going in, not adequately filtered. And we swim in that stuff. So there's a map this morning makes the papers, uh, the Independent this morning, of the public health danger because of wastewater and raw sewage entering the Irish waterwaves, and it is still happening. Uh, I should have probably mentioned this when I was talking about um, smartphones in the classroom, but Generation Z, who I believe, and according to my calculations, Generation Z is anybody born between the ages 13 to 24, they want no more sex on television, right? They're fed up of it. Uh, They would rather see friendships, platonic relationships, or what they now call nomances. There's too much lovey-dovey stuff on the television, too much romance, and too much sex. They want no man's. They just have had enough of it, and they think that it needs to change. There's a study out in the UK and the United States. I've often thought that the sex scenes on television were never, ever needed. They're just not part of the plot. Um, I always find, like if I'm watching something and it's pre-recorded... I just fast forward through those because I said there's no point like I mean they wouldn't be watching two people having sex on the television why would we want to do that and it's got nothing to do with the storyline anyway but anyway I suppose I digress uh, text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0818104106 calls on the way talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818104106 Cork's Red FM pick up the phone text 0868104106 uh, story that makes many of the front pages today of, of course is the uh, the man who lay in his bed undiscovered and dead for over 20 years. Um, his skeleton remains were eventually found by um, county council workers who eventually pushed in the door and got in. There's 180,000 other long-term vacant properties around the country and the family of the late Tim O'Sullivan say that something has to be done to ensure it doesn't happen again. You have to wonder, are there potentially others in derelict properties undiscovered? I mention that uh, because uh, in September of 2023, just gone, the decomposed body of a man at the age of 66 was found in Yall in an apartment. Uh, he was found at the early hours uh, of the morning at Carey's Wharf in Yall, an apartment in there. Uh, lay undiscovered. 2019, very sad and tragic story of an 85-year-old man lay dead in his Blackpool home here in Cork for seven months. Uh, in 2022, there was the skeleton remains of a tenant of a council house remained undiscovered for 12 months despite the fact that three visits inside in the property in the intervening period of the 12 months by council staff, they never found uh, the body. So they were in and out three times. Skeleton remains were there undiscovered for 12 months. In this year, 2023, August just gone in Newry County Town, an elderly couple were found dead inside a house um, three, you know, in and around that time. And they, they said to have been there for a long time. It doesn't say how long, but um, it, it seems to have been sometime at least and then there was the the other story of the skeleton remains of of a tenant um, of a council house remained undiscovered for at least a year Uh, and then another one um, Britain's um, Nicholas and Hilary Smith aged 81 and 79 remained undiscovered at their bungalow in Tipperary this is from last year they were undiscovered in the bungalow been there for 18 months their mummified remains of the tragic pair were discovered with all the curtains drawn in their home uh, Gardaí eventually conducted a welfare search uh, and they found Nicholas under a quilt in his bed and Hilary sat upright in the armchair with an electric heater beside her which was still on and had been on, I imagine, 
for a period of 18 months. Awfully sad and tragic stories. But if I could turn to the story from Mallow, and that is to the inquest of Tim O'Sullivan. And Barry Roach covered that inquest for the uh, Irish Times when he joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. I was just giving a little bit of background there. My, my apologies yeah. for keeping you, because just no, to show... No, you're fine. Yeah. There's a lot in this. So what I was going to suggest is maybe if I talk first about how the council phone Mr O'Sullivan. Yeah. And then maybe a bit about what we know about the poor man. Thank you. And then the family have made a very strong call, as you referenced, the 180,000 derelict things. We might do that. And then if we have time to just mention some of the other cases that you mentioned there. Yeah. So um, what we heard yesterday, the inquest was on in Mallow before the coroner from North Cork, Dr. Michael Kennedy. And we heard from a John O'Dell of Cork County Council. And he said that he first became aware of issues regarding the house in Beecher Street. Just to put it in context for listeners, Beecher Street and Mallow, if you're heading from Cork, to Charlotte Limerick, go through the roundabout, you pass the fire station on your left inside, Derry Gold's on your right, you hit another roundabout there, and if you take a right there, it brings you back into the centre of Mallow, and Beecher Street is there, it's across the house, this man's house was a terraced uh, cottage, single story, across the road, uh, from the Mousetrap pub, slightly down from, I think it's the centre, uh, uh, Gal, I'm not sure, there's a shop there, it's, it's on that road anyway, and was boarded up, but Mr. O'Dell said that he first became aware of issues regarding the house in Beecher Street in December 2014 when Councillor John Paul O'Shea contacted him about a broken window and asked could the council establish who owned it. He said the council weren't able to establish ownership as it wasn't recorded at the land registry, so the council began treating it as a derelict property, and in January 2015, the property was boarded up by council staff, and he said they had no reason or authority to enter the property when boarding it up. And then he said that uh, about three years later, there were complaints about vermin from neighbours living next door. So uh, council staff planned to carry out clearance work at the back, but they couldn't gain access to the rear of the property, to a garden area. And then he said in January 2023, on foot of more complaints about vermin on the property, council staff went to change the locks on the door at the house January 13th. So rent the clue could gain access, and that was when Mr. O'Sullivan's remains were discovered. Yeah, and there was quite some detailed evidence given by council members at the inquest, uh, how they discovered and the pitch darkness and going in with lights and going through the different rooms, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, council employee Paula Dunne, he told how he couldn't drill, he was having difficulty drilling the lock, so he kicked in the door. He noticed a pile of posts and brochures almost uh, three quarters of a foot deep inside the door, uh, so he then decided to carry out a sweep or a check of the house. He said, I had a headlamp on me, I saw the bedroom to my left, I could see a bed in the middle of the floor, I then saw a shape of legs under the duvet and a coat laid, coat laid on top. I worked my way up the legs with the headlamp as my assistant says it was dark, right up to the head. I then realised it was a human body. So he came out and he spoke to his colleagues, McCarl and Eugene Kilnan, asked them to confirm what he'd seen. They confirmed his body and they notified Gardy and they arrived at the scene, cordoned it off. And we heard then from Garda Siobhan Costello how she'd arrived there with her colleague, Garda Megan Murphy. They confirmed their human remains. They notified Garda Technical Experts and preserved the scene. And at 2.18pm on the 13th of January, local GP Dr. Marion O'Donovan uh, pronounced the person dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, as I say, it, it was clear... Yeah. The person was deceased. We also no, she confirmed there was no sign of trauma or foul play. No, yeah, yeah. Well, well the, uh, Dr. Bolster later did that then. But Sergeant Eileen Kelly told the inquest she carried out an examination of documents found in the house after the remains removed. She found a passport, a birth cert, driving licence, as well as an ESP bill, all in the name of Timothy O'Sullivan, together with the cash equivalent uh, of €8,000. Now, I'm not sure, was this pre I think it was £8,000. Pounds, yeah. Or I'm not sure it was a pound, so possibly sterling, but it was equivalent of 8,000 no, okay. euro at any, at any rate. She
she also found a diary entry, she said, in which Mr. O'Sullivan said he was going to Tesco's on January the 9th, 2001, for the first time. Now, I'm not sure if Tesco's was it that he was going there for the first time or Tesco's had just arrived in, in yeah. Mallow. Yeah. But she also found a receipt from Tesco on that date confirming the visit, and she found a social, protection, a social welfare card also in the name of Timothy Sullivan, so she contacted the Department of Social Protection. They were able to confirm that he was in receipt of job seekers allowance from October the 4th, 2000 to January 23rd, 2001, when the claim closed automatically as he had failed to collect three payments in a row. So that would all point towards um, he was alive up until January 9th, 23rd, that period. We heard from, um, 2001, sorry, we heard from his sister Maureen uh, that she had never visited him in Victor Street after he moved from the UK to Mallow, but she used to write to him and he used to reply with the letter stopped around 1982 and she presumed he'd moved back to the UK. We also heard a statement from her other, his other sister, Noreen Foster. She lives in Australia. She told how she called to the house in Mallow on a visit back to Ireland in, on July the 24th, 2003. She received no answer and she when she knocked, looked in the window and appeared nobody had been living there for a while. She spoke to neighbours who said they hadn't seen him since Christmas and they thought he'd gone uh, to the UK and she called the Mallow Garda station where she met a Garda who told her he knew her brother but presumed he'd gone to the UK because he knew that Mr. Sullivan had another brother living there. And she said, I remember phoning the Garda a week later and we caught him on the golf course. He did not provide any further information about Tim and again he just said he believed Tim had gone back to the UK and he left it there. But she did say I always presumed that the Garda had actually taken some action to investigate. She did, yes, and uh, before coming to their conclusion, she said she'd expected they'd gone into the house but obviously they didn't. We heard, as you say, from Dr. Bolster. We also heard from a statement from a, a consultant dentist who examined dental records, and that's how they confirmed that the remains were those of Mr. Um, Mr. O'Sullivan. Dr. Bolster said the remains were, bones were quite desiccated, but there was no sign of any fracture or trauma like that. And But they were so desiccated that uh, that suggested he was dead a long time, so long, in fact, that she wasn't able to co- determine the cause of death. Dr. Kennedy, the coroner, then said, you know, it was a hugely distressing case uh, for the family. But if it was any, if it was of any comfort to them, the fact Dr. Bolster would find no trauma or any evidence of uh, injury and the fact that the cash was there uh, in the house undisturbed and the fact that he was found lying on the bed with the duvet in his uh, overcoat on top of the duvet suggested that he'd passed away asleep peacefully in, in the bed sometime, he said, between January the 9th and 23rd. 2001. At the age of 62. At the age of 61 and he extended his sympathies to the family and um, he so that was uh, he also promised to uh, pass on their statement calling for a a review of legislation um, to the relevant government departments. Hugely distressing case as you say uh, Neil and uh, I suppose the picture we have of Tim O'Sullivan, his only, the family uh, were, were obviously very private and, and didn't want to, to speak. But so the picture we have really of them has, that's emerged has been from a few statements that they've issued at various stages. Um, he was born, we discovered in Carcevine in, on this 29th of September 1939, a few weeks after the First World War. Oh, sorry, the Second World War started and I was sort of placing this in my own mind. Uh, John Lennon was born in uh, October or sorry, December 1940, so he'd have been a year older than John Lennon, so I presume the 60s would have been when he was in his heyday, as it were. We understood he worked as a compositor in printed works in the UK, and the family described him as a bright, intelligent, and able man who came to carry off in his holidays with his wife. Um, his sister moved back, his, his siblings were all born in the UK, 
the family had, his parents had emigrated after, soon after he was born in 39 to the UK and his siblings were born there one of them moved back to South Kerry uh, Maureen and uh, she said Tim used to come over to Ireland on a holiday and stay with my mum and where my mum and dad are from not long before my mum passed away in January 1990 Tim moved over to Ireland he was married when he moved to Ireland and he was late getting married um, we understand the marriage didn't last and there was a lot of coverage obviously at the time when the body was discovered and a lot of media reports were that the, Tim had struggled with mental health but the family said that wasn't the case yeah. reports have been made in the media in recent days that this is back in January that Tim struggled with his mental health but really it was more a case of a man with a broken heart who mm. wished for privacy oh, and time to be alone sad. that's awfully sad it's desperately sad isn't it oh, and do you know something in reading all of the copy and reading the inquest reports and everything, I feel very sorry for the family because they didn't know that Tim owned the property. You can't, if you, if they, they, they thought it was rented, they thought he'd gone back to the UK, they talked to neighbours, they went into the local pub, they went to the Gardaí. They couldn't break down the door because they had assumed he was gone, didn't know that he actually owned it, um, and, um, and probably were, were assured that he was, you know, just getting tipping away in the UK and, and, and that all was okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the point they made in their statement just to, in, to the coroner. Uh, it was uh, read by a solicitor, Fiona O'Sullivan, but on behalf of his, uh, Mr. O'Sullivan's uh, nephew, Aidan. And he said, um, you know, that the family acknowledged that they could have done more to locate him. But I wonder, but could they? they? I mean, they're, they're caught up enough. They must feel awful guilt, but we have to give some compassion to them, really, don't we? Yeah, but they, they also made the point that they believed on Garda Shikana and Cork County Council could have shown more care and due diligence to the matter. And Aidan Shine in the statement said, the decision to board up the house without conducting internal checks highlights one of the main shortcomings in the current derelict property processes and surely conceal the truth about our brother's whereabouts for even longer. We do not seek to lay blame, but rather to emphasise to all parties involved that more could have been done. Moreover, they say, we are deeply concerned that his tragedy may not be an isolated case in a nation with over... As you say, 180,000 early properties, we worry that similar cases could remain hidden. Um, and they went on to say then the existing system and processes seem inadequate, sending notification letters to derelict houses, erecting a notice and waiting extended period, periods, often exceeding 12 months before commencing compulsory purchase order process is an impediment to timely intervention. And that point you made about them being unable to establish, or unable to, weren't able to find out that Tim actually owned the house. Yeah. The fact that local authorities appear not to have the authority to conduct the necessary legal searches in both the registry of deeds and land registry to determine the owner of a property and carry out subsequent searches to contact next of kin before beginning a compulsory purchase order. That also is a deficiency, they say. And they said, we appeal to this coroner's court and humbly request a comprehensive review of the legislation surrounding derelict properties and the CPO procedure in Ireland. We advocate for a more compassionate, efficient and proactive system to prevent future events of this nature. 100% right. I mean, like I'm getting texts already saying, and just as a typical one, it should never have been boarded out or boarded up without checking the inside first. It's a bit of common sense, isn't it? Absolutely, and I'm just looking here, I was doing a bit of research before we came in there. Uh, Derelict Cork campaigners, Frank O'Connor and Jude Cherry, they estimated, I think, in June this year, there were 460 vacant and derelict buildings located within a two-kilometre radius of Cork City Centre. And it's a slightly different context now, but I'll just refer to it in that it's a, the, the poor man was the victim of murder, Frankie Dunn, if you remember back. Yeah. But that was at a derelict property, and if it wasn't for Joe Pierce looking for his cat yeah. in the grounds there, Bory Manor, yeah. Bory Manor Road, yeah. who knows what we still might be issuing appeals or the family might still be issuing appeals for Frankie Dunn. Yes. It's, it's a serious issue and you've listed the cases there. Um, 
earlier, the Maninola, I hadn't included that, but I mean, we had the two in Cork City that, uh, no, they weren't derelict properties, but they were there for a number of years. Uh, Richie Scanlon in uh, in Madden's buildings, uh, he was there, I think. Uh, he was there was over, six, over six months. Uh, uh, George Harrington in uh, the Glen, he could have been there, I'm just looking here, uh, for months again. Uh, we had the Smiths of Clooney, as you say, 18 months in Tipperary, and there were a few more that uh, you referred to, and I'm looking at one, there was, I mean, the, the one that was most similar in some respects to this is the case of Michael Whiston, a man in Dublin, uh, Sally Noggin Road in... Um, in Dunleary, uh, February 2022, his mummified remains were found. He was a 76-year-old man living alone. The house had been evacuated just hours earlier after a hand grenade from the Civil War was found in a frying pan in the kitchen. It was made safe by bomb disposal experts. Council staff then went in to clear rubbish, uh, which they believe was in the abandoned property. That's bizarre. And we heard, or sorry, the inquest in Dublin heard from a, a council official, Carmel Donlan, said... They had been contacted in January 11, 2021 by a neighbour concerned that Mr. Whiston hadn't been seen since Christmas. They checked with neighbours, she said, RIP.ie, local nursing homes, social welfare workers, as well as calling the property over the following months, and no rent had been paid since January 2021. So they started a process to deem the house abandoned. Workers from a security firm called to it on October the 8th, 2021. That's, what, 10 months later, nearly nine months later. Uh, they replaced a the door there. It was inspected by council staff, accompanied by Gardaí on October the 15th, 2021. Three days later, they attached a notif- notifying the tenant that they intended to terminate the tenancy. Uh, and then it was February 2022 when council, or when an employee of the company sent in to clear rubbish from the house. Uh, they found the poor man's remains, skeletal remains, sitting up in the back, in the bed in the back, back in a bed in the back bedroom. Isn't that bizarre? And they had to get DNA samples to confirm his identity. They heard, or the inquest heard he was a single man, no history of employment, recluse, rarely left the house, agoraphobic, fear of, um, of open spaces, spaces, and he also suffered from alcoholism and suffered from depression, and he'd lived there alone since his mother died in 20, 2008. But again... But people uh, have been going in and out and never spotted yeah, the body. Yeah, it's, it's extra, yeah and I mean, there, there were two cases in Wexford have come across. There's a really bizarre one in... Um, Mayo, when the family were living in the house, the sister, if you remember that, the elderly sister died and the brother didn't, wasn't meeting them. They were leaving notes from and about a year later he discovered she was dead. Um, there's some really strange ones, but the, the scary thing is, is you know, there are 180,000 early properties. Um, Delicate, with the job seekers' allowance, okay, so the job seekers' allowance, maybe that's how they're able to date it. Um, that's how we're able to date the, it. The receipt for job seekers would have been January 23, 2001. You're saying that it's cut off then after you don't pick it up after three weeks. But it, but nobody checks on a job seeker not picking up the allowance. But no, would but they check uh, on a pension or not picking up a pension? Speaking to you before, I think you had Paddy O'Brien on afterwards. He made a very sensible um suggestion that, you know, if somebody doesn't collect a pension or a social welfare payment, or a couple of them consecutively and they fail to collect, then some red flags should come up in the system and say, hang on a second, what's happening here? Yes. And somebody go and check out. There's no point in writing out to somebody who's dead living alone a letter that nobody's going to Well, the thing you do straight away is you would, as you said, check RIP.ie. There's nothing in there then, and someone hasn't collected a pension. Then you up the investigation to another stage. Absolutely. I mean, I think Paddy O'Brien's suggestion that him was eminently sensible and practical, you know, and it should be easy to do. I would have thought with computer systems that you'd have some red flag and alert coming on saying, guy hasn't, or the person hasn't collected this in a month, what's the story here? And, you know, a check. But, uh, I mean, there, there 
I've come across just, and I hadn't included, I didn't, was aware of the one in, um, you had from New Reno, that couple. Mm. But I mean, uh, there's some, you know, just, uh, there's elderly two sisters in Mitchell's back in 97, they possibly two or three weeks. Uh, I'd say the one from Ali Harness, the woman who'd been dead a year and she was sharing a room with her sister who obviously wasn't mentally well. Uh, Alan Moore and Wexford dead uh, three months, Christmas lights in the window alerted people around March, people noticed Christmas lights, that's when the guards went in. A man called Philip Knight in Wexford again, neighbours noted just a foul smell, they went in, he'd been dead about a month or so, and then the Michael Whiston one in, in Dublin. But um, it's, it's, it's 20 sad. 20 years though. But, but 20 years is just, you know, that's, it's incredible. When you think of it, I mean, 22 years, like, and, you know, I, I go to Mallow, that's how I go up to the courthouse in Mallow, I've been passing that house for, Absolutely. I don't know how many times so many people have passed it never never um, realising that there was a poor man in there you know? and nobody ever thought about going in and checking the property hopefully some good will come from this awful awful tragedy hopefully I mean if properties are being boarded up surely it should uh, common sense you know okay there may be an issue about um authority but surely people can get some permission the authorities can go and get permission to go and carry out one sweep of the place to make sure there's nobody in there you know ah yeah but even at that though there shouldn't be a legal impediment to checking whether somebody is alright or not I would think you know yeah, yeah, or get the guard easy going with you before you border up. Oh, totally, totally. Barry, thank you so much for that. As always, uh, an awful lot of detail there from Barry Rhodes, Southern correspondent with the Irish Times and the late Timothy O'Sullivan. And I think it's fair to say our thoughts are with his extended family. It's a difficult time and it must have been hard uh, to give evidence yesterday and indeed to hear an awful lot of the evidence that was given about their beloved brother. Uh, lines are open. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Brendan. Now on 0818 Red FM. Sarah O'Connor of this programme did some work yesterday with regards to the uh, row in Cabinet over uh, refugees and the proposed change that Fianna Gael wants to impose where it would be 90 days and after that you have to find your own accommodation, etc, etc. They call it a blistering Cabinet row of which the Tawnish is now saying he was never briefed about anything about this in advance. But um, it's interesting because we have statistical comparisons with other European countries but just ahead of that actually because uh, um, the number of Ukrainian war refugees continues uh, to uh, increase there's about 800 uh, Ukrainian refugees arriving into Ireland now averaging every week about 800 so there's growing concern across the coalition uh, and this is an article from um, uh, the uh, examiner over the past few days where they were saying there's growing concern across the coalition about accommodation pressures created by the uptick in numbers arriving since the summer. So the weekly arrivals across the summer were about 800 people. Now it could be higher or lower than that, I don't know. But of the 800, if you take it as a weekly average, about 30% of them are actually coming from other EU countries. Uh, and Michal Martin is is admitting and suggesting that um, one of the reasons for that coming from other European countries is that we do offer more than the rest of Europe. He says Ireland's response has been the hallmark response. He said that it's possible that Ukrainian refugees arriving in Ireland are coming from other EU states because supports provided to them here are more generous than other countries. Now, it's, it's not as if um, he's suggesting that we need to get in step with all the the other European Union countries with regards to the payments and the and the services that are provided. He said, actually, it's a badge of honour. He says Ireland's response has been the hallmark response. But it's clearly 
unsustainable. Um, and that's why he got so agitated when he heard these news, the news of a change to 90 days accommodation. And after that, you'd have to find your own accommodation. But how how do we compare? And that's, it's around about 100,000 now, not far off 100,000 um, Ukrainian refugees. And I think that the figure for international protection order assistance, these are people coming in from a lot of other countries um, and claiming asylum here. Uh, coming into uh, Ireland, maybe through the airports or through the ports themselves, or sometimes they're, you know, unfortunately, sadly, we've heard of one or two cases where people have come across from uh, through Northern Ireland. And uh, actually, the problem there is that um, they would have had a criminal past that was unbeknownst to us until they committed really terrible crimes here in Ireland. So the international protection order ones would be maybe fast approaching 20,000. So, how do we compare with the rest of Europe? Uh, and this is important because um, we are number one when it comes to the amount of um, assistance, financial assistance that's given to uh, Ukrainian refugees. We're number one in Europe. We give 220 euro per week. Finland gives 107 uh, per week. Uh, and that uh, is followed by Spain that gives 100. Italy gives 75 euro. Denmark gives anything between 60 and 82. Portugal gives just over 68 euro. Luxembourg gives 7 euro 29 um, in protected accommodation. Um, they get uh, just under 64 euro a week in Luxembourg if they're not in protected accommodation. Uh, the Netherlands gives just uh, under 54 euro a week. Greece gives 50. Sweden gives 49. France just under 48 euro a week. The Czech Republic 42 Germany uh, gives a varied figure. It could be anywhere between, I don't know, something like 41 euro a week and 112. So I don't, I don't know why it varies so much, but it does. Uh, Austria gives a flat fee per week of 41 euro a week. Poland uh, gives um, 14 euro in protected accommodation and 37 euro where you're not provided with accommodation. Hungary gives just under 14 euro a week. Belgium, just under 8 euro a week. Um, if they're in official reception centres where they do get shelter, meals and medical care. And Bulgaria gives a one-time payment of 180 euro. So as you can see, uh, the payment in Ireland is, for want of a better word, although it's an understatement, uh, substantially more than many other European countries. If you look, Bulgaria gives 180 euro once, we give 220 euro every single week. So that's, you know, both ends of the scale, if you like. So it's it's fair to say then that perhaps people coming and fleeing war would want to come to Ireland uh, faster than any other European Union country. Bear in mind also, though, that you also have other family members who are coming from Ukraine to join their uh, relations and their family in Ireland. And that's bound to happen, you know, could have other family members who, who wish to come over. But I think... It had been thought, really, maybe when we um, put together uh, our plan for uh, refugees, asylum seekers, international protection orders, a different thing, but that the war wouldn't last this long. But it is, and it goes on and on and on. So then others were asking me um, with regards to exactly what is available. So Claire had a look at this also, and so did I. Um, Ukrainian citizens don't need a visa to travel to Ireland. This should any, answer any questions that you might have. When they arrive, you can apply for social protection, uh, for income support, and then you get that weekly social welfare payment that I'm talking about, um, the 220 euro. But you also get children's allowance, depending on how many children, and you get it just the same as an Irish person would get. Um, 
You then stay in accommodation where your food is provided, but you must contribute 10 euro per day for adults and a fiver each day for the children. Uh, um, If you refuse to pay, you could be asked to leave. Uh, On top of that, then, there would be the proviso of a public health care service card. Um, for uh, people from Ukraine, just the same as an Irish citizen living here. That would be health care and medical cards. You can apply for the medical card uh, and uh, you, you're helped with all of that. Stuff like you're given a PPS number. You have a right to work in Ireland and, and interestingly, you can work in Ireland as a re- Ukrainian refugee and get job seekers allowance. But you can only work a certain number of days, just like in Ireland, um, for an Irish citizen. So you can work and get job seekers. Um, and then there is also a free preschool program for all eligible children um, for primary school. Uh, and that would involve secondary school as well. So any of the rights that apply to uh, an Irish citizen would also apply to um, a Ukrainian refugee child. School transport services are provided uh, to Ukrainian students uh, on the same basis as children in Ireland. And there's no charge for the services if seats are available. Now, that's different, the Irish system, because I think uh, Irish families do have to have to pay in many cases, but that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Uh, there is also available um, funding and fees for further education and third level education for Ukrainian refugee students. There's a tuition fee scheme, there's a student assistant fund, there's a bursary for displaced people which is about €6,000 per year Um, and you can apply for a payment of €1,150 per month for a qualified person taking a full-time course in higher education so all that is available. And finally because I was asked by the, by text in this one um, with regards to driving. You can drive on your Ukrainian driving licence while in Ireland under temporary protection, but they say you must be insured to drive your Ukrainian car while using Irish roads. So um, that was a lot of work that was done yesterday, in particular to compare to the rest of Europe and the payments uh, and the services that are available here versus our other EU neighbours. Your thoughts, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Meanwhile, you look at, uh, come back to calls after 10 this morning. Thank you. Uh, I see a lot of texts coming in. I'll get to them as well. But you also look at maybe uh, other people who are on our roads and how they're doing business. It could be tax, it could be NCT, it could be insurance or car insurance. I mentioned a while ago. I see the Guardian doing good work there. There was a, a multi-agency checkpoint set up there recently here on Side, and you'd have uh, the National Transport Authority would set up checkpoints and they'd have uh, the Garda Shikana there as well. I don't know whether Customs and Excise might be there also but they were checking and they came across some character who was operating a taxi service without licence nor insurance. The driver was not only operating without the correct licence for a taxi which makes it a fake taxi but the NCT was overdue and the vehicle was uninsured. Wouldn't it make you think um, about uh, perhaps if this is happening more than we know? And it would be very worrying that you would have people out there. God knows we've heard of stories in the past where, uh, you know, there was a story in the papers earlier in the week and we covered the court reports of a girl who was uh, who was uh, raped in a, a supposed taxi that she thought was a taxi and it wasn't one at all. This guy was uh, detected operating for hire without the proper taxi licence, no insurance to do so. Uh, the vehicle was seized and the driver will now face court. And in a final note then with regards to traffic and things moving around, you'll be disappointed to hear that some bizarre reason, Cork Bureau reporting this morning, that there will be no late buses. Uh, bad news for late night jazz revellers this weekend. Bus errands confirming there'll be no extra 
Night Rider bus bus service again this year. Um, Irish Rail are putting on some extra services um, into and out of the city, but no buses. You would think that there would be. I don't know why. Has it got to do with lack of staff or what? Um, but it's very unfortunate because you think that they would extend the buses across the bank holiday and the jazz weekend by a couple of hours, but that ain't going to happen. Text 0868 104 106. We'll pick it up after 10. Now. Show. Red FM. Okay, pick up the phone 0818104106. You can always email Neil at uh, redfm.ie. And I'll talk to Jackie if you don't mind because um, they're in a, a very, very, very worrying position at the moment with a, with a family member that they love and care for and worry about a lot these days. Jackie, good morning. Hi. Um, hi I, Neil. I appreciate you coming on um, because you're going through a, um, a tough time at the moment um, and, and obviously we'll be very careful about you know what we say with regards to, to your yeah. sister but feel yeah. free to share with as much um, as you can though because you are very well, concerned. I'll just, yeah, I'll just tell you the, the kind of story where it all started and stuff. Um, about four years ago um, her marriage well her marriage was after breaking down before that but um, she, her husband then applied for divorce and then at that time her own health wasn't great she was on medication for 10 years she was on pain medication and everything and then her um, daughter um, moved out of the house as they do they yeah, they grow up and they move on it happens to us all and then she lost her two dogs that she had for like 15, 16 years passed away and they died within a couple of weeks of each other and everything seemed to just fall down around her now we as a family were there to support her like emotional support everything else that she needed and we were trying to get her to keep the house herself that she'd have somewhere to live and she kept telling us oh I have this person is going to buy it off me and I'm going to stay in the house and then because her husband was after me I won't, I won't go into the, the, yeah, that, that yeah. aspect if you so, don't mind yeah. okay yeah, yeah. okay so thank you her, her husband had moved so um, okay. Okay. she lost the house in the end she huh? lost the house and um, she lose it or she sell it she, or? she just it, it sold so she left to go in the end and she moved to my mother's house and um, due to her mental health deteriorate and then it just deteriorated. Yeah, you were um, concerned for her at that stage yeah. even. Yeah, yeah. And um, she turned to religion and God and it got very um, worrying that all she could talk about all day was that and um, she started fasting and stuff and not eating and my mum and dad became very worried about her then because she was going like three weeks without food three weeks? three weeks without food all she'd do was drink water and when we'd say to her why are you doing this to yourself? and she said because um, I'm fasting for my sins and I said but like we all fasted for our sins or we all um, sinned you know I said you don't need to do this to yourself. I said, you're actually hurting yourself by doing this. And she said, no, no, no. I'm on a journey now. It was and a form, she saw it as a, as a form of penance. Yeah, yeah. That's she's what and she's she far and far from no no more a sinner than the rest of us. But she was, no, she was seeing things totally well. different, yeah. She was. So what happened then was it went to a stage of my mum was terrified that she was actually just going to find her dead in the bed. 
So she said, I have to ring her doctor. I'll have to get her doctor out to the house. Did she lose la- rapid weight and was she oh, without energy oh. and gone? She went from a size, we'd say she was in a size 18 clothes and she went down into a size 6. Um, Good God. And she just, and my mum and dad were watching it every day and they were trying to get her to eat. And, you know, obviously she's an adult, like, and you can't force her. Um, so they were just watching her deteriorate over the days. And then what's wrong with my sister is she's super intelligent and she she can manipulate her way out of situations. She knows, like, she would have suffered with her mental health all her life, on and off. Um, but any time she would have went to um, a counsellor, um, she would have counselled the counsellor. All uh, right. You know, that yeah. kind of way. Yeah. And uh, then what happened was um, the doctor uh, came out to the house. She sat in the front room with her for an hour and ten minutes speaking yeah. to her. Yeah. And she basically told my mother that if I got um, the home crisis team out to your house, they'd be putting me in because if you think there's something wrong with me. She said, I can't do anything about it. She's an adult. She's making this decision, and because it's on religious grounds, we can't, I can't Is do anything. Is that right? Because um, right. I would have thought that you could have maybe coaxed or you know, the GP could no. have worked out some no. kind of visit to this, some kind of involvement with psychiatric services or something like that. No, no. So this was now before she stopped drinking water. And then she stopped drinking water just after that Christmas. And she didn't drink water or eat now for four days. Now, she wasn't after eating for three weeks. So then she went into not drinking water. And my mum and dad were absolutely terrified. And they said, will you come and talk to her? Because, you know, like I had a fantastic relationship with her all my life. And they said, she might listen to you, you know, if you reason with her. I had called, you know, I was regularly calling in to check up on her, but they said it's gone to a stage where it's terrified now. Doctors can't do anything, you know. And I went and confronted her, and she ran out of the house. And she said, I knew you were up to something. I knew you were planning something. I knew you were going to do something. And I said, no, we just want to help you. But at that stage, her mind was gone. She ran. I used to get the guards involved. And we found her. Then the, was it the next day? I think we found her in the Metropole Hotel. Okay. And uh, when we went in, we spoke to the manager in there, and he said, well, "I actually thought your sister was dying when she came in here. The condition of her." Okay. He said, she, we she, she checked in, is it? She checked in. Okay. She checked into the Metropole Hotel. And the guardy went to the hotel room. We four of them went up into the hotel room with her. At that stage, she was after having a shower, changing her clothes, having something to eat. And when they went up, she was coherent. She was, as I said to you now, talked her way out of it. And the, the guards um, came down and they said to us, all we can say to you now as a family is, um, we know you're devastated and everything, but they said she's an adult. And the decision she wants, she wants to be kind of left alone and um, she wants to move on with her life herself. And he said, this is what the guards said. He said, all I'd say to you now is give her a wide berth. She has her money. And he said, she'll come back to you when she okay. wants to. And that money, without wanting to pry too much into, you know, family business, was, was that were some that money, the proceeds of the sale? Yes, it was. And, and yeah. was that in a bank? 
it was in the bank. Okay. Now, Neil, there's another part of this story now, which is actually um, when she was living with my mum and dad, she went to Greece. And when she was over there, she was robbed of the cash that she had on her. Did she have much? And was she on her own? She had two and a half thousand cash on her. And she was on her own, Grace? Her cards on her own. She went over, she said, oh, this is a new start for me now. I need to grow up now and I need to, you know, take control of my life and I want to go away. And we all begged her not to go on our own. She went anyway. It was robbed. We got a phone call from, um, oh no, we had to get Interpol involved with it. She yeah, called she you from robbed. Greece saying I'd been, she'd been she robbed. Called, she was ro- robbed. My mum sent money over to her to cover her. How did that happen? How, how did she get robbed? I do, we don't, I'll tell you now, um, Neil, this is the story. When she rang my mum, my mum sent money over to her again. So for, you know, accommodation and everything, money. And um, next thing we knew, we heard nothing from her again. We were worried, sick. My mum rang the guards. The guards got into Interpol. She was missing... Um, six or seven weeks and we got a phone call from a man in the shop in Greece to say I have your daughter here he said she's after me on the street and he said she's in a very bad condition so um, my um, I, somebody went over anyway to get her and bring her home and when we brought her home she was a different person she won't tell us what happened out there something happened on she will not tell her. Who knows how bad it was, yeah. When she came home, she went, She, she that's when she got worse and she stopped eating and she was fasting and she was doing all that. That's actually what happened her when she came back. She was absolutely traumatised. We told the doctor that. We told her everything. So she was gone for two years. We didn't know um, where she was or anything at that stage. The guard said, look, she has her money. So, so after after you, the guards checked on after, her in a, in a, a hotel. In, in the did she like you say for two years? She was living in different hotels. Is it? No, she well, she was. She, we actually don't know. She never told us where she was, but we knew that she was. You know, um, she had her money to support her, and then I got a phone call uh, last year. Um, now, in the meantime, I had Katrina Tony involved in this whole situation because when she went missing the first time, we got Katrina involved in it and we had photographed my sister, so she knew her and stuff like that. Looking out for so, that she might call yeah, to Betty Dinners or something. Katrina was absolutely, totally. you know, and I couldn't ask for better in her. She's an absolute fantastic woman, she said. Yeah, okay, I'm just just, just, uh, just hold on, I'm going, to take a, I'm going to take an ad break for that part of the story, okay? okay? Um, because okay. I, re- I, I hate pausing you, but we will pick up the conversation after this break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Jackie, you had mentioned there um, uh, Katrina Toomey and Penny Dinners. Did, did, you said she got in touch. Was it, was it because your sister had been spotted? Um, my sister, there was a man that was after finding my sister and he was after helping her and she was living in a car and um, she Katrina called me and she said look uh, I think she's in a very bad condition and we need to get our help so the Gardaí were involved again and they came and uh, when we went to where she was she ran 
because the minute she saw Katrina, she ran. And um, the guards came, then they took a statement and they went looking for her that night. And they took her back to the boys' well. And they brought her in and I said, look, even before you bring her back now, I said she's going to talk her way out of this. She's going to talk her way out of this. Um, and I said, they said, look, we're going to get a doctor to come and see her. And I said, could I speak to the doctor before he goes in? Because I said, I know mm. for fact she'll actually talk her way back out of this, I said. And um, they didn't, the doctor didn't seem before he went in. He went in and spoke to her and he came out and he said, because she's not going to harm herself and she's not going to harm anybody else, we can't keep her. And she's, an, she's not a minor. I know. But yeah. like, so, so the family, I'm talking to your good self, of course, feel very helpless in all of this. But she is, yeah. she is at risk and she's vulnerable at the best of oh, times, yeah. but very much at risk and vulnerable because of her mental state and the fact that she's living on the, on the street. So here's my understanding of it. So, you're, so we're going back a few years now to the beginning of this and all four sorts years. of... Yeah, four years. So yeah. all, all sorts of awful things happened to her that changed her life and obviously mentally affected her greatly. The marriage breakdown, of course, the death of her dogs, um, uh, the, the fact that she was alone um, and the children grow up and move away. Uh, clearly there was some kind of a, a breakdown. Wouldn't you think and then yeah. my understanding was that you know she became very religious and started fasting and refusing yeah. to eat and wishing to do penance and, um, and, and, the, and the worst thing of all me now besides her mental health is she hasn't showered Okay. or washed herself in four years. My understanding also from Seamus who had a lengthy conversation with you was that she said that God told her uh, to, she sold the house because God told her to and said she got a message to say, "Live in hotels till the money runs out." Is that is that accurate? It was. It was. Do you know what? It, what happened was she went to bed one night and she woke up and she asked God to take her. And she said she woke up the next morning. She had more pains. Nothing. She went off all her medication. And she said God told her then she needed to go on this journey. And it seems that. That's why when we mentioned religion to the doctor, she said we can't touch it because when when it's to do with religion, that's her religious belief. Okay, thank you. That's another aspect of it that you mentioned. So then she went on a a trip to to, to, to Greece and of course, who knows what happened, but certainly she she was robbed. She was with your sister for a period of of time. She came off medication. Would that medication have been, and again, I am not a medical practitioner, but I'm still asking, would the medication have been for bipolar or anything like that? No, she was on okay. medication okay. for okay. All right. uh, pain. D- 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 yeah, pain. For pain, yeah. but but not for not. Uh, there was no. She no. was never diagnosed with any like psychiatric issue or no. bipolar disorder or anything no. like that. This so, is where the this is where the religion comes into it again. She has told us no. Things have changed in the last couple of days. Again, I got I saw her myself um, on Saturday. I approached her. And she ran away, ran across the road out in front of traffic and everything to get away from me. Um, she wouldn't accept my help. Then my um, Katrina told me, I saw her yesterday morning, she was very worried about her. She was in severe pain. Um, standing on the bridge in town, pacing up and down the bridge, holding her stomach. Katrina was very worried about her. So I rang the guardy. I told them, I said, she's right next to the bridewell. Can you go over, please? I said, I have to get an ambulance. We're trying to get in there. All the family will get in as soon as we can. Um, again, um, the guards came over, uh, approached her, and she told them again, no, I'm grand. No, I want to live like this now. No, I'm grand. I'm grand. And there's no problem at all. 
and they brought my mother and father back into the station. They said, our hands are tied. She's an adult. And if she's choosing to live like this, we actually can't do anything for her. Isn't um, it heartbreaking? I mean, I know you have a deep concern for your sister, but I'm just thinking, through the eyes of your parents, though, it must be heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. And then what happened was, um, I got a phone call last night to say, um, a guard from the Bridewell rang me last night and he said, um, uh, listen, I have your sister here. He says she wants to talk to you. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Um, don't worry about me. I'm okay. But I am going to go home with you now. So she said, Jackie, she said, Jackie, I want to go home with you. Yeah, yeah. She said, um, I'm going to go home with you now. She said, and I'm going to um, stay with you for a couple of days because I don't like being around town for Halloween. So she said, um, I'm afraid. So she said, I'll come home. But I have to tell you now, I have to continue on this journey. So um, I'll go home with Jeff for a couple of days. I have to come back in here because if I don't finish the journey I'm on, I'll have to start all over again. Did you say, what's the journey? Can I help you on the journey? This is what I said to her. I said, what journey are you on? I said, you're on this journey four years. I said, the same journey. And he said, it's not getting you anywhere. It is, it is, you don't understand now. Right. You see, when I when I went now the last time with my other sister, when I went with her, it set me back then. When I was with her all those months, it set me back that time that I'm supposed to be on. The, the seven street. months that she was with her sister. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that well, what is the journey? What's the journey? We don't know the journey, Neil. We don't know the journey, and this is the problem. And then we got back onto our doctor again, said it to her. Her doctor got onto the home crisis team. Would you believe this now? And the home crisis team told her, we've never even heard of that woman. We've never come across her in town. No, they haven't because my sister doesn't... Uh, people would know her. People that, that, that are in town frequently would know her now at this stage. She stays to herself. She's on her own. She doesn't communicate with anybody. She told me last night that this was the first communication she had with anybody in nine months. As in a spoken word? To me. So, they, like, she'll ask people for money for to get a drink. Money's all gone, so whatever she had is now gone. Well, she, she, oh, that's all gone. And she told me as well last night that she's eating three times a week. And she's sleeping, standing up. Where? She didn't say, she just said, I'm sleeping, standing up. And I said, how are you doing that? And she said, I'm just used to it now because she said, I can't. She's afraid to go anywhere that she can just to lie down. So she's not even like, she's with me now. She's, um, she's, she's after getting a good night's sleep and stuff like that. And um, we make sure that she has plenty to eat and everything she needs. But like everybody is just, telling us we can't help you because she's an adult and if she wants to live like this, like the first time Gardy got involved in it, they said to me um, if your sister wants to live in a tent we can't do anything about it. If your sister wants to live in a car, we can't do anything about it. But if they're tied by virtue of law and her being an adult yeah. but there are many yeah. other services and other many other branches oh, of the of the, the state, state including I got onto the HSC. Yeah, I was going in there, I yeah. 
yeah, I got into the HSC the other day, explained the whole situation. I got into a doctor in St. Michael's Hospital about two months ago. I was on the phone with that man, I'd say, 40 minutes. He gave me 40 minutes on the phone. He listened to everything I told him. And he said, because she's an adult and because she's not going to harm herself or harm anybody else, he said, we cannot do anything. He said, your doctor can get her signed in for 72 hours, he said. But if she goes in and he said, if she's so coherent and she speaks so well, as you're telling me, he said, they leave her walk back out. But wouldn't that be the greatest tragedy of all time, though, if it ultimately led to her death? But this is this is what we're worried sick about, like, you know, the family work. Like, I'm going to bed at night and I'm thinking, where's my sister now tonight? I'm sleeping in my warm bed. Like, where is she? My my other sister was out driving around half three the other morning looking for her to see could she find her. Did she? Yeah. She and fi- she never she found f- her. Couldn't find her. She went to every place now that she could think of that she could go. Um, because when we found her, the last time we found her, she was sleeping on a bench. And what, on, she the, had on the keys, is it? Over. I'm the key. She Anderson's key on, on or Pope's key, key or It was on Francis Kimwell. North Mall. Yeah, she was sleeping there on a bench. Um, Nothing covering her or anything. She had a black bag over Do we have? I mean, I don't have to remind you how vulnerable and how at risk she is yeah. from, from predators there. She's walking around in a little cardigan, a long cardigan now. That's what she is on her, no coat, nothing. And I said to her last night, I said, you're actually going to... You, you'll die if you stay in town now with the cold that's coming now that we have come and I said there's no way you would survive she's getting so thin now and everything um, How did she sub- survive previous winters? But you see and she was with my sister last winter and the winter before she had her money so she was in places then So she was checking know? in and out of different places spending the she money and, then, so and that ran out they, yeah, so uh, last winter she was with my sister, but when my sister was saying, look, I want to get you all the help that we can do, we'll do everything for you. Once you just see a doctor, talk to somebody about what went on, and she did tell us that something happened to her when she was in Greece, but she she can't talk about it. She cannot talk about it to anyone. And she said, I need to continue on with this journey, and when I finish this journey... She said, I will come back to you. But I will come back to you, but I don't think she'll ever make it back. Okay, so the HSE can't do anything about it. GF or St. Michael's, whether it's the Mercy or the CUH, can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, you spoke to a psychiatrist who said he, he yeah. can't do anything because she's, no. she's she, she appears coherent and she's an adult. The guard Shakana's hands are tied again for, for, similar, for similar reasons. Um, she's not using the services of... Vincent de Paul or, or Simon, uh, she wouldn't be in Adele House if she no. tried. She, she hasn't. Me, what happened to her is she, she's paranoid now, Neil. So okay. she doesn't trust people. So with Katrina Tomey, even though she was fantastic in everything she did for us, because Katrina rang the guards last year and because I got the guards involved last year, um, she doesn't trust Katrina. She won't go near penny dinners for food or anything. So she'll actually go without. She taught me like she has went but, on the streets but a week in, without. But, but yeah, but in 2023, uh, right now we live in a society where all the arms of the state's arms are tied behind their back and can't help somebody who clearly is psychiatrically unwell um, yeah. and is very much at risk on our streets and is on this path that will ultimately lead to her death. 
and nothing yeah. can be done to intervene. Is, is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, that's basically what we're, we're, we're and and if you spoke to Katrina, she'd tell you it's a roadblock at everything as a family we've done, every single thing we've done, we've come to a roadblock. No, we can't get involved. It's religion. No, we can't get involved. Uh, if she wants to live like this, she can live like this. Um, and because, uh, and I mean, I, I can I can check that aspect of it with regards to a religious conviction being the reason why people can't intervene. But there's also the, the there's also the you, yeah. know, the you know the aspect of you know human kindness intervening for the for the for the best reason in the world, and that is to keep somebody safe. Uh, um, yeah. And like you, she, she, we're heading in, temperatures are going to drop now. You'll be two two maybe three degrees, possibly four yeah. degrees. At two and three in the morning next week, um, and you see me, she's she, gonna, she, she will die of hypothermia. She's offered, yeah, she's asked me offered blankets. She's asked me offered coats. She's asked me offered shoes. Like she's walking out of her shoes now. There's holes in the shoes that she has on her, and um, my mum has all her clothes that she left behind when she left the first time. And my mum has all those clothes, and she has shoes for her, and she has coats, and she has big boots and everything, and she will not take a thing. She won't take it. Even if you say these are all your clothes, like just, just. No, like. no, no. We did. Um, my sister bought everything belonged to her, and um, when she uh, had her for that length of time, she brought everything with her. And uh, no, oh no, I couldn't take. No, I can't take. Not even a pair of socks. She wouldn't put a pair of socks. And who's on her. feeding her? Um, no one. That's when I'm, what I'm saying. Is she told me she went a week without eating. She might go three days in the week when she actually gets to eat and all she does is if somebody gives her two euro or three euro in town she's getting a fizzy drink to keep her sugars up so she's not actually consuming food she doesn't eat no she's oh you should see her now Neil she's so thin she's so thin and uh, Katrina's worried sick about her we're worried sick about her because anytime we went in to help her she's running she's running away from us she's asleep now upstairs is she she's she's asleep yeah yeah and I'd say she'll sleep because when she went my sister that time um, she was sleeping for 18 to 20 hours a day because I'd say she wasn't sleeping the whole time she was on the streets and then she was just so mentally exhausted because I'd say she was so afraid as well you know <sighs> would you would you I know poor misfortune I mean would you would you think that her story and the story you're sharing could be the story of at least some of the other people who are on our streets that when we drill into oh, their past lives there there are similar stories odd. but you most people that are on the streets are there for that reason they have trauma that happened in their lives and you know I think that you know when they're saying oh we'll give you this medication we'll give you that medication I actually think the best medication is to talk to somebody and change in your diet and exercise and I think exercise is probably the best thing for people with mental health issues because the happy endorphins that come from it and then going to talk somebody medication well actually I did read I did read a report there recently that said just that when it came to and I'm not saying that people for a moment should stop medication that they're on do not but but it was talking about you know people prescription prescription medication for depression is all very well but that fresh air and walking and outdoors and getting the heart going um yeah, it, it's, it's a it's huge done. positive attribute to people who are suffering with mental. But you see, and again, but, I, but there, there needs to be more counselling there for people. There needs to be more things that 
um, you know, more services there for people with mental health issues like that. Because we as a family now, I'm talking to her last night and she's saying, I'm going to stay now for a couple of days, but I have to continue on this journey. Um, don't be sad now or don't worry about me. I'm okay. I'll be okay. And... Like we don't know what journey she's on. She knows she she knows in her head what journey she's on. Why well, keep asking her when when it's going to be the end of the journey? She doesn't know. She can't tell her. Yeah, but because she, she's not rational. No, 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 not at all. Oh. But to uh, a professional, somebody that's sitting there talking to her doctor, they're going to say, "My God, this this woman's," you know, in one sense. Even um, there was Vanguard who went over to her yesterday and they were speaking to my mother afterwards and she just said, that's absolutely devastating to see your daughter in that situation and your hands are tied, you can't do anything for her. My mum told her everything we'll have to do for her. And we just said, it's absolutely devastating that this is what has come to and how she's in that condition. So for somebody who's not aware of how traumatic and dangerous a life they're living and the journey that they're on um, there can be no intervention because they're an adult Yeah. and if you went for a section within to the psychiatric services they can only keep somebody for 72 hours and they can walk out yeah. the door and they can walk out the door Okay. so okay. she could talk her way around it and she could be gone again so that's where we are now as a family and we're absolutely at our wits end well, I'm, st- I'm so stumped because I, I don't know yeah. I don't know where you turn to next except for hoping that she'll wake up and say I want to end all of this will you ever help me to become better other than that I, yeah. I don't know no but that's, that's what we were saying we were saying if she asked if like we were like I got the phone call from the guards last night I actually thought it was the way that she was ringing to say I need help I want to stop what I'm doing I just need to move on my life but now. you could equally yeah, get a call from the guards to tell you that she's passed away Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, my sister was watching her yesterday. She was watching her on the bridge, pacing up and down in agony with her stomach and holding her stomach. And my sister got out of the car, went over, and she ran. She ran away. And when I approached her as well at the weekend, she ran across the road away from me. And I was terrified. Then I didn't want her anxiety going through. I didn't want to harm her in that way you know what I mean I didn't want to be so all you'd want to do is hug her and take her home mind her make her well that's all I wanted to do I wanted to get her into the car get her home and just you know I know I have her at home at the minute but she can walk out the door at any stage and walk back into town and continue on the journey that she thinks she's on you know and that's that's like where we're stumped Um, she does need very she, she, she needs help um, Where will you get it if you've tried everywhere? I'm racking my brain here wondering because your hands are completely tied because you're saying, sorry, she's doing what she's doing on religious grounds and she is an adult, we can't help. But you're like, we have a, we have a duty of care to people. Oh, this is it. But like the thing is now, the religion um, thing was gone. Like she was speaking about religion when she was fasting and she was fasting for her sins, but she's only just talking about a journey. You now she's on and she needs to finish out the journey and every time she said to me last night you taking me home now is going to set me back again so it's going to set me back now 
but I need to do this now because I'm afraid. But sure, if there was some, if there was some kind of a medical intervention there, in fairness, I'm just thinking out loud where she could get some kind of medical intervention that could balance her. Like if it was, if it was a form of bipolar, where there would be, um, you know, a duty of, or there would be, there would be um, maybe, uh, how how can I put it, some kind of um, medical plan or prescription um, that would keep her balanced. Yeah, if she got a diagnosis, if she was brought in and they diagnosed her and they started her on treatment, but then again, she will prob- she will have to accept that she has to go on treatment, and she'll, you know what I mean. And then stick and then accept. stick with the plan. Yeah, she'll have to accept that she needs treatment. And whereas, look, I think sometimes you know, years ago when people were taken in and you know they were kept for years, I just think myself that she needs. Um, like somebody going into rehab and they have to go to rehab for three months I think she needs time because her brain is so drained but you can, so walk, you can walk out of rehab you see voluntarily no I know but I'm saying if they could keep no, I know but there you go again they can't keep her there so she has to accept help and if she doesn't accept the help that's what we were told by the guards they can't do anything for her and that's where we are now as a family she can't accept help because of her mind because her mentality. So she getting, so that. getting, a, so you say that the religious aspect is over in the sense that I see somebody suggesting that if she's still on some kind of a religious path, maybe a, a little one-to-one conversation with the priest no, in, in priestly she, garb no, would help no, her. She's totally against, uh, like she actually became a born-again Christian, um, went down that route and everything for over four years ago. It was probably about five, five and a half years ago when she woke up that morning and said she was cured of all her ailments and all she wasn't taking the painkillers anymore. Know, but where's, you know, but where's um, her journey going And then, the, this is it, but the religion thing is gone now. She doesn't talk about God anymore. She doesn't talk about anything like that. So everybody has to sit Charlie. back and uh, let your sister's life take its course to whatever sad and tragic consequence that might be by virtue of the fact that whatever happened to Greece... She could have been attacked in Greece. We don't know. We, yeah. it, it could have made yeah. things much, much worse. Yeah. You know, there yeah. be all sorts of additional trauma. She, it was too, it was too, it was too traumatic for her to talk about it. So she said, "I will tell you one day, but I can't tell you now. I can't tell you what happened." So then she was over there for near to two months, um, and ended up in the streets over there as well. And you're going for some from somebody now that. She has such a fantastic brain. Like she's just um, so artistic. My God Almighty, she would have made a fantastic interior designer. She's just somebody that can put her hands to anything like that. Brilliant brain altogether, and just something tragedy happened, and trauma happened, and her mind just couldn't take it. Unfortunately. So what? What are you going to do? When she wakes up and wants to leave? Well, I, I don't know, Nick, because she did, when my sister had her that time, she was happy to stay because she was sleeping, she was getting food every day, she was getting her cigarettes, she was getting everything she needed. And then when my sister approached her and said, look, we need to look at long term and we can support you financially for as long as you need it, but you will have to take yeah, like you know, like so she kept saying, "I'm on this journey. I'm on this journey. I can't change my clothes because if I change my clothes, I'll have to start all over again." And but you have a shower? Did she have a shower yes, last night? 
Sorry. Did she have a shower in your house last no, night? No, no. When, when no. was the last time she'd have had a shower, a bath, or a wash? Four, four years ago. Four years ago. Four years. Four years. She told me last night it's four years since she changed her clothes. And washed her mind. hair four years. Four years. No, 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 nothing. This is what I'm telling you. Whatever happened in Greece was so traumatic that when she came back from Greece. She was so bad when she came into the house. My mother said you would have to go in to have a shower. Now, she did have a shower then. And I think she had two showers in the time that she was in my mother's house then. And that was it. And then it went to not eating, not drinking, and then left and never changed her clothes after she had the shower in the Metropole. Um, How long ago was that? The metro, I can't even think now to be honest yeah, but she had a shower that day in the Metropole which would be nearly four years ago But is and she wearing the same clothes for the last four years? She's on um, Neil she has no socks on she has just shoes she's wearing the same clothes if you see her around town I'm talking now here and people are listening to me and they know why what I'm saying they'd see my sister around town people reg- regularly would see her around town um, and what she's wearing when we saw her on Saturday it was falling apart holes in all the she's a long kind of dress thing on her and it's all holes in it and she has um, a black scarf around her head to cover her hair and she's wearing a black mask and for some reason or another she cannot show her she cannot wash her hands she cannot do anything. And this is where we are with it. Yeah, because she is... Um, she feels that if she cleans herself and she changes her clothes, she'll have to start the journey all over no, again. She, I mean, she's, she is mentally unwell of yeah, no making of her own. And, and, and I would I would have thought that herself. somebody... Katrina Toomey has told me in the past that, and I don't have the actual statistic, and I don't mean to frighten you because you probably know already, that vulnerable women on our streets are very, very open to predatory attacks of different types. Now, I'm not saying that that has happened to your sister, um, but if if it hasn't, thank God it hasn't, but it, it may. And on that basis, you would think that she would be risk enough to be taken into care even against her wishes. Yeah. I know. Okay. I know, Neil. But this is the way the laws have changed. Okay. And this sadly is what's happened. You happening. know, where we are as a family, that we can't do anything for her. Would you mind if I ask people if they've gone through this? And again, this could be a story yeah, from many so other far. people who are living on our streets. And a lot of people listening to me now may be able to help or tell their story or indeed may be able to give some um, some advice to you. And is it okay also if I talk to Ka, maybe just ask Katrina? Katrina told me uh, I don't too. know. I don't know whether or not she'd be... Yeah, Katrina was absolutely, she's devastated, okay. the poor woman. Right. She rang me in an awful way as well yesterday. And she's, I tell you, she's an angel on earth. That's what she is, that woman. Without she's a doubt. Shot. Yeah, okay. The work that she does is fantastic. Totally agree with you there. So, um, um, all right, thank you so uh, much, okay, you're not You're not going anywhere. You're, you're staying at home for now anyway, aren't you? Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, I'll talk to you again, Jackie, for now, all right? Okay, thank you. Thank Text 0868 um, I'm sure that there are people listening to this program right now may have been, not, not, maybe not exactly the same kind of story, maybe not even similar, but have, have been in a situation where with, with regards to a loved one, you are helpless to intervene because they are adult, because they've made their own decisions. Um, and, and did you have any luck in helping 
or turning their lives around or getting them the help that's needed. Text 0868104106. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Text 0868104106. Um, just for the few minutes I have, be at this side of 11. I'm joined by Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dennis. Katrina, good morning. Morning, Neil. Now, I understand um, that, firstly, for all of the people who are homeless on our streets, this is, um, of course, an example of the fact that everybody has a story. You're aware of the case we're talking with regards to Jackie's sister, but you don't wish to dwell on it too much for particular reasons. Is that right? Well, yes, obviously. Um, You know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think Jackie is pleading with the, somebody to come forward to see if there's a way that they can help their sister. They're an outstanding family, but they're broken. They're suffering greatly. And so is she. And she's obviously, her mental health has her in a state whereby she believes she's not suffering, that she must do this. She's on her journey. But, you know... Nobody can help her. Everybody's hands are tied. And is that no? Is that normal? Is that the protocol that if somebody is an adult and makes that decision, nobody can intervene? No. And no. Do you see? Do you and see much of that? We see a lot of it. We have a lot of people, especially young people, who have a lot of mental issues going on, and they've come through a system and ended up in, you know, in a worse system. And the system clearly isn't working for them. And we look. All these people have mental health issues. It's an illness. They need to be saved and looked after and comforted. And their families need that. Their families want that for them. The families are not the experts. We have fantastic mental health workers in Cork. They're absolutely amazing. And they need more help to roll out their service. You know, so somebody has got to look at it to save these people. We have a lot of... um, more and more people presenting with mental health issues and the COVID just destroyed people completely. We saw that visually, you know, people that were coming to us that looked okay and then all of a sudden with COVID they didn't look okay. They were suffering, they were you know, afraid, that fear, that anxiety, whatever creeps in can destroy a person without them being aware that they're being destroyed. But even in, even in an advanced case, and this is quite alarming and uh, again, uh, you know, I know you, I know you don't want to wish to make matters worse for the poor misfortunate woman, but she's not eating. Yeah. She hasn't showered or changed clothes yeah. in four years. She's on some sort of a journey. She sleeps on a bench. She clearly is at a serious risk from predators um, and and and, and, and and death. And yet, no one can say, "Come with us. We're going to get you help," even if she refuses it. It just can't happen. No, um, we pass her a few times daily, and your heart. You know, my heart. And anybody's heart will go if they saw her. You need only look at her. Yesterday when I saw her, she was in pain. It was more than, you know, this was physical pain she was in. She was suffering. She was clutching her stomach. And you could tell, you know, that she was in the height of pain. So. And would anybody have said to her, I wonder, come with us now and we'll take you to hospital and make the pain go away? And that could be a start. She'd run away. She, she would run away, like she runs from her family. She's afraid of everybody. She's got this, I suppose, paranoia that people are going to take her and, off. And that is a life choice that an adult can make. Unbeknownst to themselves, because they're mentally unwell, they can just choose exactly. this path and no one exactly. can... 
and, and that's it. That's it. That and there are lots of families out there suffering with family members in their homes that they can become afraid of as well. And um, uh, like mental health is, uh, you know, you use the word broad, and that kind of seems to lessen the the the. the the hurt that mental health causes but it's right across the board and it can affect anybody and it really does tear families inside out because they're worried they're scared for their loved one they want to help them but they have nowhere to turn to to help them and this is what we have to look at and I think that's why Jackie was so you know, coming on today for Jackie to reach out like this maybe somebody has an answer out there and maybe if that's what your programme can do today and save one life it'll help save more lives Because they're helpless to get any kind of intervention without the acceptance of the person who's struggling That's um, exactly. That, that's just, like that must be leading to awful tragedy though and loss of life it is. it is. It is leading to awful tragedy. And you, you, you can see that by the numbers of people that were losing through suicide as well. You know, so we have to take it serious. A life is worth saving, no matter whose life it is, no matter who they are. It's worth saving. And in this life, this is an ordinary loved one with an ordinary family who love her commits. And yet and this story is unfolding there. before our eyes and before the family's eyes and indeed... People listen to this program and we, we just have to watch it happening. Exactly. And the thing I about it is I now, I, I, don't think, I don't think anybody knows where she's sleeping when she's out at the minute. And like people have been quite good to her. They've been incredibly good and kind to her. There's a lot of kind people there, but a lot of people just think they just leave her alone. That, you know, she We just, become she immune to it, unfortunately, because we see it yeah, so often. Exactly. And... Um, but I, I'm worried. I'm actually worried for her physical safety as well as everything else. Exactly. And if she dies, wherever she's sleeping, at the minute we know. But when she will go back out again, and she will, you know, it'll be very hard to find where she's sleeping. And what if she's dead, and and the family don't know, and they can't find her, and they're looking for her, like <sighs> it doesn't. It doesn't like beggar the, thinking the, about. The, the family have followed her on occasion. There have been a couple of carloads at the most, like yesterday, mum and dad and all, everything. It's, it's Mental health just doesn't affect the person that's affected with mental health. It affects the whole family, and even more so because they're more aware of it than the person. The person doesn't realise okay. what state their mind is in. Okay. So, they, God, they need help. Yeah, they need okay. to be sick and the family needs to have this reassurance that something can be done to save that like we're at a state point now where it's about saving her life absolutely she, she doesn't yeah. wear coat she's got a paper thin kind of t-shirty thing long sleeve thing on her you know the same clothes the whole time but it obviously looks paper thin threadbare and she must be frozen as well yeah thank you she will die thank you Katrina it's awfully sad there's little optimism in that regard uh, and if Katrina Toomey doesn't know what to do next who would um, um, at, at this stage it would be a case of maybe there's somebody out there who's been through a similar scenario with a friend or a loved one that had an outcome that could be used with regards to um, maybe um, getting Jackie's sister to be safe and helping on our journey uh, to good health. Um, do get in touch. Text 0868 104 106. We're back after 11. The Neil Prenderville.
Show, Red FM. Thank you, thank you all for your texts, and there are many of them with regards to Jackie's story regarding her sister. More on that in a few minutes' time, but just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, between midday, now and midday today, we've got some great tickets to give away. We've got the Jazz Festival happening right across the bank holiday weekend. And before midday today, I'm... sure that I will give it away today. The Cork Jazz Ball in aid of Spinal Injuries Ireland. It takes place on Saturday night at the Radisson Blue Hotel in Little Island. Um, And I have a table for six of you. If you can make it there on Saturday night, we'll have a great night. Um, six people. So we'll have the drinks reception when you arrive. Remember now, it's also the night of the Rugby World Cup final, which will be the uh, uh, All Blacks and South Africa. So the evening kicks off with the drinks reception at half past five. Dinner is at half past six, and it's a damn good dinner at the Radisson. Then you got the World Cup final uh, on the big screens uh, at eight o'clock, and then dancing to live jazz, raffle, auction, and a DJ. So it's a great night at uh, Spinal Injuries Ireland. If you want to go yourself, you can buy tickets, take in the jazz and the rugby. They're 100 euro per person or 75 euro for anybody under the age of 30. So you can contact Philip at spinalinjuries.ie. I also have pairs of tickets to give away uh, for the Opera House, for the Everyman, and for the Triscoll for the jazz across the weekend. So all that is going to happen as well. Um, so for all of the business, text 0868104106. Stay listening for your chance to win some of those prizes. <clears throat> and so by text, with regards to the awful struggles of, of Jackie and her family, and there's a lot of them trying to look out and are looking out for their sister, but are helpless to intervene. It's easy to say that exercise and talking is the best thing for someone with mental health issues, Neil, but when you are slow stepping out of bed or even looking at someone, it's so much of a struggle to find exercise as an answer. Oh, I I know that. And and forgive me if I gave the impression that, you know, it's easy for everybody who's suffering to just jump out of bed and run out the door and go for a walk or a jog. Uh, Twelve years ago, my dad had a nervous breakdown, Neil. He was suffering with alcoholism and bipolar disorder. I pleaded and pleaded with the CUH, with the Gardaí and psychotherapists and psychiatrists to section him. Uh, but because he was deemed compass mentis, they could not help. My dad had literally lost control of his mind, and it seemed that only I could see that this was actually happening. The man that I knew for 20 years was slipping away, and I was totally helpless. He took his own life in May of that year, and I 100% blame the laws in this country for his death. He was able to talk the talk when he needed to, and was deemed to be in his right state of mind, but no one would listen to me when I pleaded with them to help. My heart is going out to this woman as I understand how helpless she as a sister feels. I can't come on because I would be in floods of tears. Awfully sad. And of course, you saw the result in your case with regards to your beautiful dad ultimately uh, taking his own life. Um, The Samaritans lads are always available if anybody is struggling and if these conversations are difficult for you. The Samaritans on 116123. Neil, I saw that lady on Saturday morning walking around town with her hand out, dressed in black, with a black mask on. Please God, her family will get her the help she needs and indeed deserves. Uh, And another person says similar. I know who this woman is. I saw her twice in town. It is baffling how she cannot be sectioned against her will. She was wearing no shoes or socks and was splashing in the fountain. She's obviously not mentally well and it was so sad to see her. Again, I wonder why she can't be sectioned because she clearly is a danger to herself 
and unable to make any decisions on her own behalf. I hope to God that she gets help because it was freezing and she looked like a wild person. Uh, I heard of a sad case late, lately where someone came out of the Mercy Hospital, jumped over the wall and into the river and broke their two legs. The tide was gone out. People really are crying out for help. Um, I don't know if this would help, but I do know after 35 years of Bible study that the scriptures would inform her that she should take care of herself. Maybe a Bible study group might be able to help her to realize and start to help herself. I'm happy to call to these people and chat to them if it would help. I'm unable to come on the air, but you have my permission to pass on my number if they want. This is not religion-based, only Bible-based, says Lawrence. Morning, Neil. I'm just listening to that poor girl's story and I'm wondering, would it be a good idea to get a priest involved since she's turning to religion? Now, can I just say that of all of the texts that I've got this morning, the vast majority of them actually do talk about a priest intervention. Although Jackie said that her sister now has moved on from the religious aspect are talking about God and just keeps talking now about a journey. But I, I think I think two things. I think that a priest mightn't be a bad idea because maybe somewhere deep in her, her her psyche, unbalanced and all as she is, that it might click a switch with her with regards to religion because she did talk a lot about God and religion and being on a journey. But I also believe that even if it were possible um, for an involuntary admission to a psychiatric hospital, I think that maybe that should happen anyway even if it's only for a 72-hour period. It's, it's just a thought. Um, um, an involuntary admission can happen um, if a person is not willing to go into hospital and you ha- they have to meet one of the following conditions as deemed by a doctor and a psychiatrist. A mental illness, significant intellectual disability, severe dementia, if you're at risk of harm to yourself or others, your judgment is impaired, um, and your condition could get worse if you don't get treatment. Um, so that would be... All of those cases would also apply for a voluntary admission, but the involuntary one would happen um, if somebody were addicted to drugs or alcohol or they have a diagnosis of a personality disorder or a social deviance. Um, But if that criteria was met, then you could go into psychiatric care, albeit for a 72-hour period, but even within that 72-hour period, maybe the people who deal with psychiatric uh, illnesses could talk with the person and just say, okay, you're here now, Um, let's see if we can help you. And you'd never know with their expertise and their professionalism, they may be able to talk Jackie's sister into um, looking for more help than she's already getting. In the kindest way possible, Neil, can the woman be committed for her own well-being and safety? She clearly needs help. Uh, more texts here saying, I'm heartbroken for that woman and her family. It is very, very sad. I'm bawling, crying. Uh, Tony says, I can't come on air, but uh, can you ask if it's possible for people to look out for her, to give her food and hot drinks if we spot her in town? I drive through town every day. And if I see her, I would help if possible. Maybe we could give her some clothing. Says Tony, you could. But as her sister was saying, she won't wear them. And then there's lots then with regards to why not get a priest to talk to her and tell her that God said to end her journey. It's worth a try. Tell her God said to end her journey. Maybe the bishop could talk to her on a religious uh, level to tell her that God doesn't want her to continue her journey. And there's many here, many, many texts talking about priests uh, and intervention from a priest or indeed the bishop. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Get it off your chest 
Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Yes, indeed. And you can always, if you have a, sherry, a story to share, and I will never give out personal information of anybody if you don't wish me to do so, uh, you can always email neil at uh, redfm.ie. I don't know how much of the uh, story this morning that Gerda, the clinical manager at the Hazelton uh, Counselling Clinic, uh, had to hear. Um, that is a, a business that and an organisation that we have used in the past, actually, where people maybe needed uh, a little bit of help and we would direct them towards the Hazelton Clinic and they've been very kind to us in the past. And Gerda joins me by phone. Gerda, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? And, and I, I appreciate that you would be coming late to this story, but um, I don't no. know how much of it the, the, the lads here filled you in on, but it's a very sad story of a girl who clearly yeah. needs an awful lot of help but but all of the different services have said because she's an adult and um, uh, also had a religious conviction um, and religious beliefs that there could be no intervention um, she doesn't seem to be of sound mind is, is that how you would see it um, with regards to the law? I would agree yes um, the only help that she probably might get is to go to A&E, family would be willing to bring her in there. But again, not sure how the HSC um, role is, the program to keep, how long would they be able to keep her um, because she's an adult? She might just say, I want to leave. Um, so there's not really much they can do. Okay, so there is nothing can be done um Except unless for, she's willing, yeah, I, I, unless she's willing to do the unless work, she yeah. is willing to do it, an involuntary admission, which would be an admission against the person's will, lasts yeah. only for seventy-two hours. Probably, unless unless there is um, possibility to prove that there is danger to her life, um, they might be able to extend that in patients. Uh, it's yeah. awfully sad, though, because they they just feel so helpless as they watch her life spiral out of control. Yeah, I I do agree, but there's, to be honest, there's nothing, nothing can be done if the person doesn't want to live, they believe what they believe, and there's this, you cannot force somebody to change their mind, set mind, you know? But even if, even if they're of unsound mind and can't make rational decisions for themselves, their responses still have to be respected. They, in that perspective, my personal belief it should be if the person is not, uh, the mind is not clear, they should be kept in the inpatient ward, psychiatric ward to make sure that she's functioning well, she's understanding where she's at, she, you know, um, and then get her help from there. But that would be only my personal view, I wouldn't know how exactly HSCs have worked. Well, the much better idea this morning has to how it works. It has to be voluntary because the Garda Shikona have said she's an adult. The HSE has said she's an adult. The homeless services have said that their hands are tied. The charities have said that they can't intervene because she's an adult. Uh, so it, it just seems as if people must stand by and, 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 and I don't know, just because it could lead to it could lead to death. Yeah, that's very sad, but that's that's true. Yeah. Are you are you seeing more and more people struggle nowadays? Um, it varies. Depends on the depends on the let's say the season of the year. When the sun is out, people seem to be a little bit more happier. 
But when there is um, autumn kicks in and the winter comes along, the uh, the evenings become longer. That's where people become more, more, and more sad. Okay, and is that what yeah. they call seasonal uh, disorder? Seasonal adjusted disorder? Is it sad? Yeah, probably. They, some people call it um, seasonal depression. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I would, I would say that. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It just seems awfully, awfully sad that when somebody can see that a loved one's life is out of control. Um, that they can do nothing except try and mind them but not get them the help they need or the medication or the psychiatric counselling. Yeah. It's awful. The the only thing, uh, as I said, they could try is A&E and try and keep them impatient and try and stabilise them with the medication. But uh, the law, whatever Irish law is, you, nobody can interfere with that. You know. What but I mean? but even in a scenario like that, and if you if you can't answer, I understand. You 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 can't you can't give somebody medication against their will, can you? If they don't take it, you can't. No. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to investigate all sorts. Would you think that, like, clearly we have a homeless crisis, but it certainly shines a light on the fact that many of those that were on our streets or indeed are struggling have a have a have a have a life story behind the reason why they're struggling. There are different different, obviously, background stories. I wouldn't be able to comment because I wouldn't. You know, so no, but I'm, what I'm saying is that there's, a, there's always a, oh, of course you can't comment about individuals, but I'm saying there's always the story and a reason why people find themselves in awful situations like without a home or a bed to sleep in or no money or no family or no job or addiction issues. There's yeah. always good reasons behind it. Definitely, I totally agree. There's definitely a good reason behind. They don't do it for for fun. No. no. Um, there's definitely a reason. Some maybe are not emotionally strong to carry out the daily, you know, daily struggles that they might have. That's right. That's and right. some of them, they're just unfortunate that something sad happens and they lose their home and they lose everything they have yeah. and they have no other choice. And much of that um, happened in Jackie's sister's case. Yeah. Absolutely. Gerda, thank you so much. Again, I'm trying no to investigate worries. every avenue that I can. That's uh, Gerda Palavachuta, uh, the clinical manager at the Hazelton Clinic uh, on the Douglas Road. Bernadette, good morning. Well, good morning, Nate. I'm not having, I'm not having much success, to be quite honest with you, this morning with no. regards to how anybody could intervene to save turn around the life of a loved one. What are your thoughts? No, I've been thinking about it now and listening to it there avidly all morning. Um, well, I actually know Neil. Um, there was um, a good friend or sisters of mine that uh, wasn't in the same predicament now as Jackie was, but similar. And what the family did was they uh, took over power of authority from her because she was like Jackie couldn't make any rational thoughts of her own and they took over power of attorney and they had her um, put into hospital for her own safety now she was inside in hospital for a good month she had everything checked out now 72 hours Neil is no time to check out any human being Mm. I mean, 72 hours. What could they do in 72 hours? 
that woman could have a tumour in her brain or anything like that. Like, there could be loads of reasons why she's acting the way she is. You know? She, well, I mean, she may, but I, I get the distinct imp- impression that there was trauma on top of trauma and let down yeah. and, and uh, mm. you know, issues with regards to marriage mm. and the home and the children oh, leaving yeah. and the dogs dying and everything just piled on mm. on top of her and she had, mm-hmm. she had a nervous breakdown. Definitely, definitely. But Neil, she does need help and, you know, I mean, I know everyone that's speaking, even including myself, like, but everybody is not as compassionate as you are, Neil. You know, I mean, the passion that you have for people is just unbelievable. Oh, I okay, must commend you on it. Yeah, and like... Neil, I honestly believe that um, her family should investigate taking over power of attorney because I've never heard of anybody that was taken back in home after being on the streets and on shower or eat or anything else like that, you know? I mean, this woman must be completely gone altogether. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, she definitely needs her family to intervene like through solicitors if they have to and have her put into hospital. Now, there are lots of hospitals around there. There are hospices everywhere that she can go and she can be kept in. Even if she had to leave Cork City and go to Dublin, there are lots of places up in Dublin. Well, what are the options here? Is it, like, for instance, St. Stephen's Hospital or is it um, GF or... Is it Tim Michaels? Well, GF, or is it? Um, um, Neil, but you know, even look, take the mental part away from us. The woman has an addiction, number one. I mean, if that woman had just an addiction, there's a place, there's a couple of places up in Dublin and even in Cork where she would be taken in and she would be taken off of whatever tablets she's on because. The tablets, the med- medication she's on can't be doing her. No, there, there is no addiction issue. Oh, she doesn't have the, an no. addiction to no. the tablets. No. Oh, my apologies, no. Nate. I picked no. that up wrong. No, you're grand. I no, that no, up wrong. Um, no, there's, there's, there's no, no I issues like in that to regard. Say anything well, about the poor yeah, lady that whatever medication know. that she should have been on would have been for pain, and she's not on oh, them. Right. That's why she seems to be. Um, right. In chronic pain, particularly with with her stomach and her back right. and things like that, but. Well, there's nothing, well, I believe there's nothing they should with. investigate Neve um, taking over the power of attorney, and you know, go down the line of that way and see how what they can do and what they can get because but when she it, can in, be taken into hospital then. But I in mean, the case of say where your friend's friend went into hospital or was power of attorney. Mm-hmm was taken over so somebody else was looking after her exactly. uh, she was put into but was she was she prescribed medication did she get better she did but was she, she did, did she did she willingly take the medication or was it a drip she, or not what? at the start she didn't but um what they did was they gave it to her intravenously at the start yeah because she was a bit nervous about things, but according to, like, they were what when she was in, then she was receiving medical help, like from psychiatrists and you know people like doctors that were sitting down with her. She used to have meetings on a daily basis, 
and she started to kind of realise things slowly but surely. I understand exactly what you mean because in a state that maybe, say for instance, Jackie's sister is in, she actually thinks she's 100% healthy and fit and she's not. Oh, she does. Yeah, she does. Of course she does. And once she starts, if she gets the help that she needs, Neil, this is what it's all about. There, If there's help out there for her, she should get it. Yeah. And okay. no matter where she has to go, even if it's outside the city, she should go. She should be brought there, you know? Okay. As I said, she can't make any rational decisions herself. No. And once she gets some psychiatrist to sit down with her and speak to her on a daily basis in a hospital, you know, I mean, she could come out a different woman. Totally, and that right now she doesn't even realise where she's at um, and, yeah. you know, um, what help could actually do because she's not thinking rationally. Thanks so much, Bernadette. Thank you so much. Text 0868104106. This is an appalling dereliction of duty by the HSC. You need to uh, get down to Glanmire to have a chat with the management in St. Stephen's Hospital to get this poor woman signed in. There are that and many more texts to 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Okay, with the time that's in it, uh, certainly we'll be doing a bit of work on this story to see if um, in any way, shape or form it can help um, uh, Jackie's sister and also to see just how prevalent stories like this are with regards to people who are very unwell um, and we deem them to be homeless or on our streets and often just label them, label them as addicts. Uh, but as Katrina Tumi says, and I 100% agree, there are many, many life stories behind the reasons why people are in the situation that they're in. But I just want to have a fast call with Jackie for now, and I know I know that we will talk again. Jackie, good morning again. Good morning. Uh, ha, good morning. She, she's still sleeping? She is, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Probably will for some time to come. Um, like yeah. in, in, the, in the limited amount of time that I've had, um, much of what I've been told is concurring what you're saying, that as an adult and things like that, very little can be done. Now, I hope to talk with people who are very much involved in psychiatry when I, when I get off the air to get their interpretation of it. But was she ever, was she ever sectioned even for the 72 hours? No, yeah. no, because when we went to get that done, her own doctor said, oh no, we can't do it. No, uh, we can't do that because the home crisis team now won't get involved in it because she has never been on their radar. And we said, what? And she said, no. Should I go on to the home crisis team? They said they wouldn't get involved in it. So we don't to her doctor to get a section. Then the doctor said, we'd have to go and find her in town. We'd have to hold her there until the doctor got in with the guard and an ambulance. And there's not a chance to happen. Because if she thinks at all, she's completely paranoid. So if she thinks at all that you're coming for, or that you're, you know... She, okay, she's but why would it not be, why would it not be a case that nobody would go and, like she needs help and she doesn't know that she does. So why wouldn't it be yeah. a case that you wouldn't do that, but that that, that the, the guardie, in, in the very compassionate way that they could do it, would, would approach her and, and take her into care, that, that you shouldn't have to restrain your sister first. Yeah, well, this is what we were told, that we'd have to stay there until the, the doctor came in. The doctor would have to sign it there and then with the ambulance crew and with the guardy to get her uh, admitted for the 72 hours. And she said, our hands are tied after that because if they leave her walk out on the streets, she's back out and in the same situation again. She said if she's not willing to accept the help when they go in there and they talk to her. Before I she can be know. involuntarily admitted? Yeah, yeah. They can't restrain? No. 
bizarre. This is just not bizarre. I mean, so how are we supposed to help people who need help and families are beside themselves with worry? That's what's wrong with us. Yeah, that's what's wrong with us. We're, as a family for the last four years, knowing what's going on. And when we were told, oh, take a white birth for her, she just needs time to herself. We knew that she didn't need time to herself, that she needed help. But uh, because we were told at the time you can't do anything for her she's not you can't, do, you can't keep a wide berth of her because you ultimately know where this will end up I mean this is it because you know. sure like um, as I said I, I can't I, I'm thinking about her 24-7 every yeah. day I'm yeah. thinking about where is she what's happening in her um, we're driving around town looking for um it's just horrific now an awful lot of people want to know listening to this programme if they can help in any way is there anything they can do or she needs or should they be on the lookout or approaching her with food? I said to her last night, I said, would you be, you know, would people come up with food? She answered like that and she just said no. No, like she has went a week without food and she'll just drink uh, a fizzy drink because she's, you know, listen, Neil, we've went in um, previous to this, given her money, uh, constantly given her money. Katrina told me it was fantastic to her. She was getting the lads to go down and look after her and give her money every night. And she was able to go, and this was last, you know, and get a, a Chinese for herself and have a bit of hot food and all that about. And so she will, uh, she will thing, eat then, will she? Yeah, she will eat. But the thing is, is that she'll go without as well. You know, she'll just go without. It doesn't matter. She, uh, yeah, I mean, her, her self care is, is her self care is. Is, yeah, is on the floor. Yeah. Care is done. Yeah. And this is the this is the problem with it then. This is what we're dealing with. Oh, we can go in and we could give her money every single day. But we're not starting the problem. The problem is she needs help for her mental health. She needs that help. And she I know she also needs food if she's living on the streets and stuff like that. She won't go to penny dinners where they'd be a hot meal there for Ber- 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 know? I know we we covered that. Bernadette spoke about power of attorney where family went legal and went to a solicitor. Would that be something perhaps? Okay. Well, I, I didn't um, hear anything about that, no, to be honest, Janine. I yeah. didn't know about that. Yeah, she said that uh, it was a friend in a similar position with a family member. Member, They ended up, they went to a solicitor, got power of attorney over the family member um, and they got the help that they needed um, in hospital. Um, okay. As, as, now, there would be a chance that that person who needed help was brought to the hospital against their will. Okay. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, do you know what, no, Neil, whatever helps her in the end of the day, whatever we have to do as a family, we will do to help her. And many texts you know? then, just finally, and I'll chat with you again, don't you worry about that, hopefully tomorrow, but many people suggesting the intervention of, because of her religious convictions, the intervention of a priest. No, that's what I said well ago. Um, um, she's a completely against the Catholic Church. She became a born-again Christian. But she's not even talking about religion now. She has nothing to do with religion anymore. Okay, well, what about another born-again Christian to sit and talk with her? Maybe she might listen and take advice? But we did talk to her about that, about the born-again Christians, because, you know, down in McCartan Street there, um, that she could go there and talk to somebody. And uh, No, no, I have nothing to do with that anymore. I have nothing. I need to go on this journey now, and I need to finish out this journey, and that's it. Okay. That's what she's saying, you know? Okay, okay. All right. Well, still, still sleeping, and I hope that uh, when we chat tomorrow, that she'll still be with you. Uh, let's see how the day unfolds. Yeah. And as I say, I hope to get some professional advice on this when we when we get off the air this morning. But everybody that Thank I'm talking, so inclu- including including um, uh, a counselling clinic, mental health services, has said that you know it's it's very difficult to do anything against the person's wishes, which flies in the yeah. face actually of intervention when somebody is mentally unwell. But 
That's yeah. That's the Mental yeah. Health Act, apparently, you know. And this is it. It's the thing that the, you can leave people fade away in town like that and die, basically, on the streets because I know, I know, there's I know. no help there from. And it is happening every day and it's very sad society you believe in now you okay. know that kind of way yeah well okay. I do know thank what you mean be, be, be with your sister today anyway you'd never know what the day might bring thanks for yeah, now Jackie we'll chat, so we'll chat later okay we'll stay in touch with you don't worry Francis good morning good morning Neil um, I heard half of the story but I had a similar experience but my sister was living at home in 2001 would you yeah would you mind if we don't go into a huge amount of detail regarding names I and things like that if you could just generalize as best you can I did, no that was it wasn't anybody's fault or it wasn't her fault even um but she went to see a psychiatrist on Friday I don't know what day that was now but she was dead on the Monday. Monday was the 5th of February. This was 2001, right? But she went to see the psychiatrist and we went with her. And we were told she was just looking for attention. Okay? So we came home and she was doing a bit of gardening, which she loved to do, and everything seemed okay. Not brilliant, but okay. And on the Sunday night, she was out with her boyfriend. And she was very, very friendly with another man. I won't name him now because he's dead and buried, but he was a very religious man. And they used to swap prayers and things like that. Um, He noticed that night that she wasn't great. Okay, mm. so she abruptly left the some pub above in Bendon Road. Mm. Couldn't tell you which one it is. I could, but it's probably closed. Uh, down we, leave it. we don't. We don't need. It doesn't that. matter. Okay. Yeah, she left okay. there in a hurry. He went after her. She went straight to the bridge and started to go into the water. He grabbed her, called the guards. The guards came, took her to CUH. Nobody committed her. The guards didn't, and the CUH didn't, and she ran. Well, when you say nobody committed her, like he, he brought her to the hospital saying that she had attempted... No, the guards... The guards, yeah, brought her to the hospital and must have told somebody that she had attempted to take her own life. Oh, yeah, he said she was going into the river. Right. Uh, and the right. guards said, we'll take her to the hospital, but I think, I think I'm not sure of this. Um, I think the guards had the power to sign her in, especially when she was caught off the bridge. And uh, my understanding would be as well that the hospital, which she went in with the guards, could maybe have signed her in immediately. So what did okay? And I can I can check on all things those things. Uh, yeah, but anyway, it? she did a runner. Okay, the security guard went after her, caught up with her. And they smoked a cigarette, or she did anyway, and she convinced him that she was fine and she was on her way home. Right? In the meantime, now, I was waiting for her to come home. Right? And uh, he left her go out. 
she told him she was going home. It's not the security guard's fault. He's probably not trained in these kinds no, of things. No, he she went did, above and beyond, didn't, didn't he? He followed her, didn't he? He mightn't have bothered following her, but he did. Yeah. He did, yeah. yeah and he sat down and had a smoke where I found this out a good few years later. And um, the next morning, the guards knocked at the door. Her body, somebody had spotted her body in the river. <sighs> they were at the door about half eight in the morning. And to that girl, I would say, do whatever you can. Because for the last 22 years, I'm looking at a picture on my wall asking, why? Why did you do it? You know, I'll never have the answers. And I'm also asking, was there something I could do? You know? And you live with that, those unanswered questions. I live with that. The torment you know? of those questions. And when, yeah. when, when, you know... And like, was she thinking of the rest of the family? Because at the time I had a sister dying of cancer with three young children. No, they're, no I mean... When people say that, you know, people say, oh, somebody that takes their own life is so selfish, they don't think of the rest of the family. But you're like, the fact well, that, that they're taking... I went through that no, But the fact that they're taking their own life means that there's nothing else on their mind except the torment that they're living with. They're completely irrational to any other thought like that. It's it, it just... Yeah, but the difference between my sister and that lady's sister that was on was she was the life and soul of the house. For the longest, longest time, I couldn't the silence of the house without her really you know she'd be singing from the time she got up or she'd be singing out in the garden she loved her garden and you know she was always noisy a noisy person and do you think that that something may have happened or that this was a mental illness we we all we're not all born with all illnesses but we can develop illnesses including a mental disorder one could think yeah yeah a mental disorder it had to be because no, nothing happened to her. I would have known. We were all, our four sisters were all very, very. And what was your concern that led to getting some kind of psychiatric treatment for her? the psychiatrist who said that she was just looking she for said attention? She was looking for attention. But well, why was that? Was she depressed or what? Yeah, she was. Um, it, a few months after, my friend arranged for me to talk to the psychiatrist. No, I didn't want to, but the head psychiatrist. Uh, but uh, no, I did have one question for her. Why did you tell me that? Because I could have had my guard up if she had said, you know, keep an eye on her or whatever, you know. She didn't. She said she's looking for attention. And I, then I did say to her, I said, look, our other sister not naming her. All our attention is focused on her. She was dying of cancer. Your other sister, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And our attention was focused on her. And, you know, I went by what the psychiatrist said. And it, when I went to meet the psychiatrist a few months after, that's all I wanted to know. Why did you tell and me And what that? was the answer to that? Do you know... I'd be lying if I told you because I haven't a clue. I, I went up there in shock, came home in shock. And you're she was lovely. I'm sure she was a lovely person. And she might have explained it to me, but I, my brain wouldn't take it in at the time. 
And now you live with the unanswered questions. I thought you probably said something like that was my opinion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I just said, thank you for your time and went away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I actually couldn't tell you the word she used. She was very sympathetic. And she did apologize, but... You know, okay. like, that's all I can remember of it. Okay. But that's why I'd say to that girl, do something as quickly as you can if there's something she can do because you don't want to be 22 years after looking at a picture and asking, what could I have done? Which is what you have to live with. No, good words of advice. Uh, it's a difficult okay. situation. Thank you thank you for that, Francis. Difficult situation for a family to make if they have to make a decision to do something against their loved one's wishes. Mary, good morning. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for uh, holding. Uh, and again, I, I, I want to keep things as general as I can with regards to respect for, you know, family members and, and, and general. But what, 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 what can you contribute? Uh, just listening in there um, to that lady this morning broke my heart. Jackie. Because uh, as a family member, you, you're going through the same suffering as that person. Um, I have a brother with mental health uh, issues and he is on medication, but occasionally, you know, he may not take medication or it might just change or he might need to be upgraded on things and um, you know with the Mental Health Act unfortunately everything is voluntary through the patient now but as a concerned relative there is a way around things you can get a form through your GP or through the medical people and it's a relative form I think I googled it there I think it's called Form 1 and you can get that signed and you can bring them straight in to St. Michael's. Against, their, against their wishes. But that yes. is a, that's an involuntary admission. Um, yes. and, but, and you do need, say, for instance, a, a doctor. And then you have, um, uh, you would have some kind of examination on admission. Yes. By because unfortunately, that lady is so unwell that she's not in her right mind that she can't make that decision. No, I know that, and that's why it would be involuntary, yeah. but, but, but then even yeah. when on admission, she would be assessed, and then that, that call would be made at an involuntary admission stage, and let's say that that was agreed that she did need help, that would be for a 72-hour period. Well, I don't know on different cases, but I know with my own brother, he goes through psychiatrists and, you know, all the staff there, they they keep them in there until they're happy with giving him a medication or giving him the right guide to live safely, basically. Yeah. If so, it, but would he would, and again, I don't mean to overly dwell and in, drill into your own personal situation, but would he, would he accept all that help and the medical intervention um, voluntarily? At the beginning, no, because he's not in his right mental state. But then when he does get the help, he and the medication starts to kick in, then he is come, becoming back to him his normal self. So it does help him, and the psychologists and the psychiatrists are there to help, and not just to help the patient, but to help the family who are trying to so, help him. So would that involve maybe calling an ambulance then, for instance? For Yeah, for that lady that's there today, just that she's in a safe house, to call a GP or an ambulance and if necessary call the guard to assist an escort to the hospital if needed. Um, and would that be uh, like would that be depression or would it be uh, b- bipolar um, disorder? Or something like that? Yeah, so it would be schizophrenia would be his diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. 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 
So occasionally, you know, he would have to be assisted when we would notice that he wasn't, you know, in his right mind. Um, occasionally that might have to happen. And with mental space, he doesn't even remember it, you know. And was there a time, again, don't answer if you feel it. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just curious because Jackie's sister had a great life. She had a great job. She had a home. She was married. Her children, she was she was flying. Uh, and then one thing yeah. compounded with another and another and another and something clicked. Um, yeah. So with, with mental health, unfortunately, nobody knows. Uh, nobody knows why people suffer either from trauma or it can be genetic that there might be something there. Yeah. And all it might need is just a little bit of medication to get them back Balanced. online or yeah. just to keep them balanced. Balanced, yeah. 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 Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Mary. So, Thank I you mean, so much. Most, most GP, like I had to request that form. I had to stand up for my mother and I had to come in uh, to the GP and request that form, which they didn't really know anything about. But when they got on to St. Michael's, the form was back through straight away and he was seen. So Because people want to intervene for a loved one. They want them to be happy and healthy. Absolutely. They want to. It's not just the person suffers, it's the whole family. Totally, yeah, but also it's awfully cruel for them to have to stand by and watch somebody's life unravel and feel that there is no help available. I mean, there would have been a time in Ireland when we did have mental health health facilities that were enormous, huge, big, cold buildings. We know them on Lisa. And there were full of people who would have been uh, committed there um, most of the time against their will and just left there. And I understand we don't want to go back to that, but we have to have a system where we can help people who are unwell and don't know they're unwell. Yeah, and that and that is why the Mental Health Act was brought in 2001 was to put all these procedures in place. But in certain circumstances, there is has to be intervention from loved ones, and there is ways around it. Yeah. Okay. okay, thank you for that. Okay. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Francis. Get involved in the conversation. We can pick it up in the morning, do some work on this topic off the air. Text 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, I'll pick up the conversation again in the morning. I'm going to love you and leave you for today. Uh, what I will do this morning ahead of the jazz weekend, which kind of starts off tonight. Uh, it's got that extra day tagged on, and that's Thursday, Friday. Saturday, Sunday, and I suppose Bank Holiday Monday. It's like a five-day gig now, which is great. Why not? We have some tickets to give away now for the Opera House for Saturday night, for the Everyman for Saturday night, and for the Triscoll for tomorrow night. Um, um, there's an 8.30 start at the Triscoll, 8 o'clock at the, uh, 6 o'clock at the Everyman, and uh, what's the time? It doesn't say the time of the opera. I'd say maybe around about tea time. There's a lot of different gigs on at the Opera House. It's a live club jazz jam. It's the Cork Jazz All-Stars uh, presenting at the Opera House on Saturday night. If you'd like to go to that, lines are open for it now. Um, and there's loads of events on for the Guinness Cork Jazz Festival at the Opera House. 30 different musicians, vocalists and DJs. they got the eight-piece Chicago bass brand and brass band. And we'll have live music in studio tomorrow, incidentally. Then Kurt Elling is playing the Everyman on Saturday night. We have double passes for that. And Brandy Younger is playing the Triscoll uh, tomorrow night at uh, 8.30. And we have passes for that as well. So the phone lines are open for those. Uh, pick up the phone 0818104106 and enjoy yourself. For everything else, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.